The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is All Things Elite. Welcome back to All Things Elite. Load up the pod, and the song when we speak. Rich right here, let me warm it up for Austin and Floyd. Couldn't be no one but the boys. When it come to All Things Elite from the fan perspective, swear, man, it ain't no question. Hear from them first. Swear, man, they putting in the work. No, they had to get me for the verse. Social suplex network zone. I was at a time in your headphones. Austin and Floyd on the microphone. Backing out on the red, getting in the zone. Pulling up the show, give it seven stars, you already know. Who else could it be but the show with the proclivity for a positivity? I'm gone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 206 of Social Suplex's podcast about AEW with a proclivity for positivity. Welcome to All Things Elite. My name is Austin Somewhat. I'm the host of this lovely show. Joining with me, as always, returning from across the pond, returning from the country of England, from the city of London, returning from the biggest wrestling show in the history of live professional wrestling events. Floyd Johnson Jr. is here, ladies and gentlemen, back from London, England. My man, I know you're probably jet lagged. I know you're probably tired from the from the time difference. How are you feeling, man? You forgot returning. Returning a brand new fan of the team that runs North London, the Tottenham Hotspurs, baby. Since since when have they won run North London? Since I became since I became a fan Friday, they're undefeated. Folks, I tell you, man, it's like this man wants to piss me off more that like the Chiefs facing the Lions week one, and now he wants to be a fan of Tottenham Hotspurs. Fuck that shit. Come Come on, on, you Spurs. Come Come on, on, you Gunners. All right, so uh, yes, that that was a new thing. I went and visited Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, uh, stadium, and I waited a couple days because I didn't want to get caught up in it, and I've decided that is the football team that I'm going to uh, follow. But most importantly, I'm actually going to learn how football works because I literally couldn't tell you what. only person I could tell you literally what they do is a goalie. They stop the other team. <laughs> Stop the ball pretty, from going in. Safe, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I'm like, yeah, I couldn't tell you anything about it. No, so uh, yeah, when I talk and say I'm a f- fan, I am the infancy of fandom of them. So I might learn more and then be like, I'm out. This is boring. But we'll see. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. It's the most popular sport in the world, and I just have to get my head around it. So um, yeah, that that was a great thing. But no, London was amazing. It's a great city. Uh, everything's, uh, it's so funny. It's like America, but a little different. Everything's just such a little different, and it's just different enough to frustrate the fuck out of you. <laughs> oh my god. Those motherfuckers care about the lines. They care about their lines, dude. Like, any place you went and there was a line, there were like three people in the middle of the line making sure no one cuts. So, uh, my, uh, my privilege that I get in America a lot when it comes to lines, I do not have in London at all. I had to wait, and that was annoying, but, you know, it is what it is. I realize it's just not what I'm used to. Um, but, th- yeah, that was... Uh, but how everything is so organized. They get you in, they get you out, they know where you're going. Um, they're very direct, but I found 
their attitude is just much similar to what I get in most like really big cities that I go to. People don't have time to slow down. They want they want the information now. Hurry up, you know that kind of thing. And if you're from America and southern part of the country, I wouldn't say I'm in the south, but southwest, whatever you want to call us. We're used to things going a little slower and people being a little more polite. Yeah, you don't really get that in London, um, but that's not an insult. That's just their, you know, that's their culture there. So it's it's just a uh, different culture change for me. But I had fun on everything I did. I did uh, Platform 9 and 3 quarters. I uh, was around a lot of wrestling fans, saw a lot of my uh, people uh, that I've known over the years, uh, Shirley and Sam, and it was in James. Uh, James uh, basically was our tour guide for a day, and that was amazing. And I got to hang with my friend Steve. That's who basically I went with, and it was an amazing thing. I I had a really good time in London. Uh, you know, I I could. Hey, we'll talk about this later. I could see myself going back there one day. You know what I mean? Take me with you, please. And, oh, we have a guest. I will do the introduction to our guest. Go ahead, brother. He was with us last week when Austin couldn't be here. And he was like, dude, I want to be on the, uh, the review. And I was like, of course. Of course, we always got room for more. We always got room for Mr. We always got room in our life for Jesus. And Mr. J.R. Perez, how are you doing today? Well, a few things. I remember talking to Mr. Floyd Johnson Jr. last year during one of the biggest events in all of sports, the World Cup. And he's like, dude, please stop talking about soccer. I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> so to hear him go from don't talk to me about what the biggest sporting event in all the professionals and all the sports worldwide to like, hey, I think I may start watching soccer a little bit now is a very I hope. I tell you, man, when when you see people who care about it so much to the point where it like you hear so many people around the world say football is a religion and you believe it. So seeing him get into European football and getting into uh, soccer, I love it, dude, even if he is a disgusting Spurs fan. I I do want to tell you. Like the pettiness of it is what I'm all for. Uh, oh, we're in Hotspur Stadium, and their fire extinguishers are chrome because they don't allow red in their stadium. Oh my god, dude! It's like people think about like you know NFL fans get riotous. Like I just you know, and I'll say this like, hey, both the teams. There was literally a fight at an In and Out after the Raiders and Niners game. Between the fans, but I'm like, you got nothing on what they, there are stadiums over there that don't even sell liquor because they can't trust fans. Like that's how it's, it's intense. And if you think it's bad in the UK too, dude, just go across to like any, like, uh, like Spanish speaking countries and stuff like that. Like, like, or any countries outside of Europe too, like Italy or Spain or any country, like those, those games, dude, are insane. Uh, but the other thing I would like to say, hey, All Out, All In is amazing, Wembley, and we're here to talk about it. But, like, you know, Tony Khan, could you do some of us educators a favor and just, like, move All In, like, you know, like, September, October 1st? Because- Honestly, dude, I have I have a thought on it, and I want to bring up to you guys I, I that I, when, we'll, when we talk about the news for next year. But I, I, there's something I want to bring up to you about that. Um, I, I'm just saying, dude, like, All In and All Out, 
like you know is literally like all I know. is the Sunday before our like today it's was the, first the weirdest thing in the world, dude. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing in the world. It's like the two biggest events in AEW history. Thus, all in out the first the Sunday before school, and then like all out is like the like, you know weekend. yeah. So it's like it's a very difficult for to try to make those trips work for some of us that work in education. Sure, dude. Sure. But no, well, I'll, I'll tell you what my thought process is about that. But uh, we got a lot to talk about with the uh, AEW all in review from London. Uh, Floyd, of course, giving you his thoughts from the show itself. Um, before we get into everything, though, right now, I think right now, like before we do our show, before we do our news of the week and everything like that. Um, unfortunately, uh, we did lose uh, Wyndham Rotunda uh, over the weekend. Uh, back on Thursday, in fact, uh, at the age of 36. It was an un- absolute shocking tragedy. We knew he was recovering from a COVID-related illness, and we were getting close to reports of him returning and eventually continuing his Uncle Howdy storyline. And then just we got the news out of nowhere that he had passed away. And I was I was working. I was on the road when it was happening, and I nearly had to pull over. It was – I couldn't believe it. It hit me like a – like a just a – ton of bricks um and we talked about it beforehand and um we want this to be you know more positive light uh towards Wyndham. if you haven't seen the tributes that wwe has done uh when they did the one they did on smackdown the one they just did on raw as we're recording this as well becky lynch gave an amazing uh salute at the end of raw too that you should absolutely check out um but i guess we'll just go ahead and give our best memories and our favorite moments of bray wyatt of the fiend of Wyndham Rotunda, um, and uh, Jr. Are you cool if you go first on this? I just wanted to do this first before we got into the nitty gritty of the show. Yeah, you know, um, when you when somebody that is very close to your age passes away, it's very numbing and surreal. Um, you know, Wyndham Rotunda, I did the math correctly in my head, is was fifty one weeks older than me, um, and. I was in the office getting our office ready for back to school and I looked down on my phone and I literally had to read that 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 tweet from uh, Triple H. I had to read it three times because it just didn't make sense. And uh, I was I was on the process of getting done and, and leaving and I literally got to my car and and I just just broke down crying and and people wonder like, you know, how can somebody that you've never met you know have such an emotional effect on you but it's two things one the you know all the three of us are here on this call this podcast because we love professional wrestling and we you know it's a big part of our lives you know for me professional wrestling has i my earliest memories goes back to when i was three years old and at the age of 35 so for over three decades i've been a professional wrestling fan and, and the most some of the biggest you know most important memories of my life is, you know, around professional wrestling, things I've done with my family, my wife, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really big thing for me. And, uh, that's the reason why the other two, as I mentioned, just like he, you know, he was less, uh, you know, a basically a year older than me. And you think about such a big loss at a young age, you know, 30, 36 years of age, he had a significant other in Jojo. He had, he's leaving behind two kids. You think about his parents having that lost their, lost the son, his brother, his sister that lost their brother. It's just, and you start thinking about your family and you're thinking about, you know, the, the most important things in your life. Um, 
which is, you know, for me, this family. And it's just, it, it's a hard thing because you, you cry for them and you, and you, and you give your deepest sympathies to them. And, um, and, and the thing that, you know, a talent like Barry Wyatt had, you know, just some of the memories, like, and I, I'm going to give two and I'll pass it on so I don't keep rambling, but like WrestleMania 31, when he wrestled The Undertaker, that was the first big wrestling trip and I took together. You know, we had just we we were within the first year of our marriage and we went to Levi Stadium and seeing him wrestle the Undertaker as one of the big storylines. It was something I was really excited about to experience Barry Wyatt in person for the first time. Um, the, the next one, and it's it's funny because I it, it's the infamous Hell in the Cell match with Seth Rollins. You know, I made that trick up. They had just opened up the Golden One Center in Sacramento, and that was the main event. Was Hell in the Cell was was the Fiend versus Seth, and I just remember seeing this, you know, amazing entrance and this character and the match they had, and obviously the the the, the controversial finish and the the fans, you know, response. But I, you know, I enjoyed I enjoyed it, and I took it for what it was and took it in stride. And I just thought this was a very great character. And then the last one was his, his his last televised match. I, th- I think if I looked it up correctly, it was his only televised match um, when he returned was the pitch bounded pitch black match in San Antonio. And me and Floyd were there in the Royal Rumble. And just the creative mind that he had was very unique. And I don't I really don't know if there'll be another person like Bray Wyatt in professional wrestling because he was such a unique character. Um, but I just give my deepest condolences to his family because to lose, you know, to lose a father, a partner, a son, a brother at such young ages, I, I can't even imagine what they're going through. So my heart goes out to them. So my flight to London was nine hours and I was trying to really stay on top of my money for the trip so i decided i wasn't going to get the internet for the nine hours i just decided to pass on it uh you know had a good trip the flight was smooth had a really nice lady next to me got a lot of sleep i get off the plane and i turn on my phone and once i finally got it to pick up i get a signal because you know i was international uh, it was a message from Tiffany. She's like, it sucks that you haven't had wait- Wi-Fi for 10 hours because you're going to, uh, you're going to, the first thing you're going to do is get messages about Bray Wyatt dying. And I said, in my head, what the fuck? And I literally started looking other places. It wasn't that I didn't believe Tiffany. It was just, I just didn't believe the words I had read. And, yeah, I saw Triple H's post, and I saw people talking about in their group that Bray Wyatt died. So it's the first thing that I actually saw in in London internationally was Bray Wyatt passed away. And my heart sunk uh, because, you know, Bray, second-generation wrestler. I mean, his name's Wyndham after one of my favorite wrestlers when I, like, I'm talking initially got into wrestling. I thought Barry Windham was the greatest athlete I'd ever seen. And then Rotunda after Mike Rotunda, Varsity Squad, IRS. A lot of people know them for a lot of different reasons. And it was just like, you know, 
He was this next generation. He was in that same conversation with the DiBiases and Cody's and all those people. I mean, he's not very much younger than Cody to be uh, to uh, be realistic. Um, so that being said, I was, you know, the future of wrestling. And my memory that I would share is WrestleMania 30. Now, uh, you know, Jake Yard was saying at 31, that was him and Eva's first trip together. Well, 30 was my first trip back to WrestleMania. It was my first trip after my divorce. And it was my first trip after my mom died, uh, less than a year before then. So a lot had changed in my life in a very, very short amount of time. And, you know, I felt like, you know what could fix it? You know, you know what could do it is going back home. And for a lot of people, you know, home is a lot of places, but wrestling has always been home to me. So I went to WrestleMania and WrestleMania 30, WrestleMania and Undertaker streak loss. That's that was all great. And that was all amazing. And those are all amazing moments. Actually, WrestleMania is probably the reason I'm back to being as big a wrestling fan as I am now. It was just a, such a magic moment. But that night, you know, I was very familiar with the Wyatt family. I was very familiar with Mary, Mary Wyatt. But for that night in New Orleans, I don't remember how many fans. There were 60, 70,000 fans. And his music hits. And all the phones go up. And it's like, doom, 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 doom. And you saw the fireflies. And it got the whole world in his 70,000 people yelling at 70,000 people just wanting this bad guy, quote unquote, to beat John Cena. And I think that was the moment I was back. That, I mean, everything else that happened that night. I believe that was the moment that I was back as a wrestling fan. I was back to being myself. Uh, back to finding out who Floyd was was again. It was when I heard all of those people uh, sing the song and have the flashlights. And that just showed me the power of professional wrestling. And why I love it. The emotion and everything that comes along with it. And it was because of Bray Wyatt. It was because of Winter Rotunda. It was because of his creation, his creepy cult leader from swamp, the swamps of Florida. And he did it, played it with such energy and such panage. And, and that was my favorite version of Bray Wyatt. And that night, that was like the, that one night where it was like, at, at that time, you know, before I was super into, you know, like everything that was going on in the back end, I was like, dude, this dude has to be John Cena. He has to. He's so hot. Everyone loves him. This is easy. He has to be John Cena. And then John Cena won the match. And then the next night on Raw, I'm sitting in the, basically the last row of the basketball stadium there. And uh, I think it's called the Smoothie King Arena. And uh, he was there again in the crowd. And, I, and, you know, the day after WrestleMania crowds was like, completely singing for him and they had like a tag match and he did you know pin John Cena and and the crowd went crazy and it was just like to me that was Bray at some of his best um I saw him as the fiend wrestled Daniel Bryan in Houston I I've seen him wrestle a lot I've seen him uh lose the world title to 
uh, Randy Orton in Orlando. I, I've seen him wrestle. I've seen his, I believe his last WrestleMania match. Uh, I've seen him a lot, and I will miss him. He was gone too soon. I wanted to see what he was coming through next because he was kind of like Jericho. That every time he came back, he reinvented the character just a little bit and made him somewhat more interesting. Sometimes it went over my head and I didn't I didn't understand it. I'm not going to lie. But for the most part, the you know, for the most part when he was in his bag, he had the whole world in his hands. So, follow the buzzards, rest in peace. Wyndham Rotunda. Yeah, and then for me, um I my first experience seeing Bray Wyatt live was SummerSlam uh 2017 when he faced the Demon Finn Balor, uh which was a solid enough match, but again, the thing that you always notice with Bray is those fireflies, I feel like. I saw Seth Rollins at a live event comment on that where like, you know, when he looks out and he sees uh, people's lights up from their phones. He sees fireflies, and he thinks of Bray, and he thinks of Wyndham. And I, I'm right there with him. I'm right there with him with that mindset. Um, I remember that match between him and Cena at Mania 30. And funny enough, I remember it too because my friend Jared, who is the biggest John Cena fan, was like a ma- like a man on an island basically with his, him and his friends. Uh, because he wanted Cena to win, all of his friends wanted Bray to win, and when Bray lost, he was rubbing it in their their faces like you wouldn't imagine. Um, but I, I also looking forward though to my personal experiences. I've said over and over one of my favorite things in modern WWE in years was the Firefly Funhouse match. I thought the fact that that came out of such a dark period of the world that a match like that with so much creativity, like love for pro wrestling history, love for like cute little nods to pro wrestling and just storytelling. It couldn't have been done in any other form. It couldn't have been done at any other time other than that weird period where wrestling couldn't be in front of fans. And with a guy like Bray Wyatt, and a guy like John Cena that you can play off of. Like, I, I, I still stand by that fact. That was my favorite match of WrestleMania the, the pandemic year. Um, and it just showed to me, too, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, even after that match, and he had stumbles when he did the uh, uh, cinematic match with uh, Braun Strowman, and had so many moments that would kill other characters. And it like that Hell in a Cell match with Seth Rollins, like that should have been it, but it wasn't because Bray was such an enigma and Wyndham was such an enigma and uh, had a connection with an audience that was close to second to none. That even a situation like that, Bray survives. And the thing that I've been seeing that, uh, has been trending like and people have been saying is Bray Wyatt forever. And I think that stood not just now, but when he was with us and when he was working and when he was on television, everything he was doing, it was just Bray Wyatt forever. It didn't matter what he went through. He would always reinvent. He would always 
have this light when he was doing what he loved doing, which is telling stories the way that he could, the only way he could. Um, this this one was one of the most brutal losses I've experienced uh, in pro wrestling. Um, I, my absolute heart goes out to JoJo and the rest of his family. Like I don't wish that upon anybody. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a horrible situation. But the it's seeing the way that fans have come to really show their support and everything, and you know, I it's the tributes have been amazing, and I just know that people are going to look at Bray Wyatt as one of those guys that's like you know he he you can't forget a Bray Wyatt. It's not it's not possible, and you're never truly gone if your stories still get told, and people will be telling Bray Wyatt stories and Wyndham stories forever. So that's really all I have. It's it's a Tough spot to start off the show, but I I felt like we had to because I'm mean, again this came absolutely out of nowhere. But rest in peace to Wyndham Rotunda, Bray Wyatt, Fiend. Like we all in the pro wrestling world will miss you tremendously. But we're gonna get into the AEW for, uh, portion of this show. Um, so real quick, um, and we have to do this. We have to chill real quick. So, um, guys, we appreciate you guys listening to this show. If you could download it on Google or Apple Podcast, and if you listen to us on Spotify, wherever you choose to listen to us, please share us with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you wish. You can also leave a rating and review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Follow us at AT Elite Pod on Twitter, at Social Suplex, are the guys that make this show possible. You can check out all the other shows they have on their network. I'm at Austin Sumowitz, S-Z-U-M-O-W-I-C-Z, and Floyd is at Floyd Johnson Jr. on Twitter, and you can also follow JR at Lucha Professor. Now... The big news of the week was that at the conclusion of AEW All in London, they confirmed we're running it back. 2024, they're coming back to Wembley Stadium for AEW All in London 2. August huge, 25th. Huge announcement. So Austin. August 25th, 2024. I only got one question, Austin. Yes. Are you in? I'm going to try my absolute damnedest, dude, but you got to... You gotta keep in mind, dude. It's it's football season. Oh it's, no! I, I you know what? You know what? The one thing I won't do is if people have to work. I'm the first person to understand. The yeah. First person, I get it. I but but with the years time knowing it, I feel like it's a lot more possible for me to be able to make this happen. Because yeah. like I said, I've wanted to go to London for the longest time. So so uh, if if I can make that happen, I will absolutely do my damnedest to try. We need to put in um, a call and you know. Oh, I will. Well, like yeah. I said, give me. I got a year's time, so we'll see yeah. what I can. I am hoping to catch a Tottenham game uh, at some point next year. Uh, my friend Simon, huge Tottenham fan, uh, and like this year they played. I think that Saturday before it. Yeah. And if I, you know, it wasn't a home game, I don't believe. But or, uh, no, that was the yeah, because that was the uh, there was some oh, tra- some trash. It was a uh, it was a uh, Bournemouth, and uh, they uh, they. They won on Saturday. Yeah, it was a two nothing, and it was on the uh, it was on the road at Bournemouth. Yeah, so hopefully next year, within that period of time, they have a home game. I can go to because that's actually another thing that would shock people to know that's on my life bucket list is to go to a football. Uh, that's mine football too, match. dude. That's mine too. Yeah, just the you know just the passion and the fanhood that comes with it. I just um, I'm excited for that. So if you could make it, that'd be cool. And you know you know maybe we can go see Arsenal get smashed by someone because you know that's not we only get smashed by Manchester. City. Blue greater oh, than red, sir. Uh, that's all I know. Uh, don't care. Don't care. And I'm, hey, coming, I, from the guy, coming from the guy that says Red Kingdom, dude, I can't believe you're no, saying No, so. I do not say Red Kingdom. I say Chiefs Kingdom. The song is called Red Kingdom. I say Chiefs Kingdom for life. 
So okay. whatever. But <laughs> regardless, um, with the news of uh, All In 2 happening in London next year, August 25th, 2024, I had an honest-to-God thought that I wanted to run by you guys because, of course, we know this Sunday is All Out at the United Center. Um, seven days after All In, we have another AEW pay-per-view. Effing um, painful. It's, it's painful. But um, I do think this is a one-time thing. I honestly think, and I want to run this by you guys, and I want you to tell me if I'm out of my mind for thinking this or if I'm on to something. I think we're, if if this is where this is headed, I think we are headed to the po- to the point where the all-out pay-per-view will be retired. I, I think because all-out specifically, for the time that it was created, was linked to the Now Arena, formerly known as the Sears Center. It was the only venue they held that, show other than the pandemic where they were forced to hold it in uh jacksonville but other than that it was always the now arena this year is the first time they're doing it in the united center and it feels like at this point they've kind of come to the conclusion that like that's where we got our start we will always have a place in our hearts for that for that venue uh but we that's where dynamite's gonna be this year. that's where dynamites are gonna be and we're gonna do big shows for for big we're gonna do big venues for big shows because we are they're out to make money at the end of the day and like you want to get the most tickets sold for your pay-per-views so honestly uh i wonder if they're gonna go ahead and just retire all out like am i out of my mind for thinking that because that's that's honestly the thought process in my head because two pay-per-views within that little time frame at that at this time of the year is not possible uh, let's get uh, JR's thoughts on that first. I'll try to say this, summarize as quickly as possible because everyone knows how long-winded I am. I have given up trying to figure out what rules are applicable to AEW because, yes, I agree with you, Austin. Like this, like to do a pay-per-view, two pay-per-views within seven days. I think from, I'm going to say just from a fan's perspective of being home, is a kind of a costly endeavor. I think people who are trying to make both shows, you have to realize one show is made for Europe. I'm going to say Europe specifically because London is a centralized location for people to travel to. Like I can tell you from experience, I took a, I'm sure I said this last week, I took a three and a half hour train ride from London to Paris. I can't get out of California in three and a half hours. So like, that's why I say with London, you know, it's to all Europe. Whereas all out is geared towards American fans because obviously it's in America. So to try to make both shows, I think is like, you're just doing that to yourself to try to carry that burden. If you're a fan and try to make both shows, Um, you know, as far as the cost of pay-per-views, yeah, it's a hundred dollars for two pay-per-views in seven days. I will say this for me specifically, technically both the pay-per-views falls in two different paychecks. So it doesn't matter to me if it's August 15th or September 15th, it's still a separate paycheck. Now, as far as I think the bigger issue, though, is trying to plan like the storylines for both shows, because like obviously you're gearing towards all in like and you should because that show was for 80,000 people compared to I don't know how many tickets they sold because I'm not on Twitter anymore, but whatever they put so far for all out and for the United Center. Um, So as far as like you're saying you know, retiring it. Yeah. Like if this was WWE, I'd be absolutely, why are you doing this? But AEW, which we've all known the reason why it was created, goes back to the elite has cultivated a dedicated audience fan base 
that supported the creation for which became All Elite Wrestling. So I think fans would be, because of their dedicated audience, would be willing to still pay for both pay-per-views no matter what. I think I would just say combine if their pay-per-views average 150000 you know, each that they would combine to do 300000 total between all in and all out. Um, but I definitely see your logic, though. Like, it makes sense. It's like, hey, we're going to move on. But I don't know if if they would like the potential feedback by getting rid of what was considered a traditional thing in Chicago to do every year because tradition. But they go to Chicago every other month, dude. I don't disagree with you, like, but that's been the tradition was going, hey, from 2018, 19, then 2021 and 2022. And this year is like we go, we do all out in Chicago. So um, I think, you're, again, your logic is very sound. But again, I try not to use like whatever rules we've learned in wrestling to be applied to AW because I don't think the rules apply to them. No, and let me say this. Rules do apply to them, but it's they're making their rules as they go. They're not going by WWE rules or any other wrestling rules for it. They are doing what's best for their company, which is how every company should be run. Uh, the only thing I could think might happen with All Out is it get pushed back a week or moved up to somewhere more in the middle of the summer. Uh, that's what I could see with All Out is that it get moved. Uh, but I don't like the only thing is I was thinking moving it back, but then you run into um, the stadium show in New York. Um, what's it called? Uh, it's a Grand Slam. Grand, Grand Slam. Slam. Yeah. So you get it. You push it back a week. You push it right into Grand Slam. So and then that affects with full gear. They're going to have to mess with their schedule. I mean, they're going to have to adjust their schedule. I think they'll adjust their schedule. I think. Um, this might they might end up moving it back a week. It may be moving Grand Slam to like the beginning of October or something like that. I don't know. I think I know they're gonna do what's best, or they're gonna just do better a better job of planning this out. I I was very clear. If you wanted to go, I mean, I think All In turned out great, but I always said the smart thing to do for me would have been. Change, tell, uh, make all in a love letter to professional wrestling. Have people from New Japan, have people from, uh, have people from Impact, have people from all the wrestling companies put on an all star show, you know, maybe with two AEW focused matches, and then save the AEW matches, save the AEW matches to all out. That's what I would have done. Because that's what All In originally was. It was a love letter to professional, independent professional wrestling. It was like, anybody, if you're not WWE, come here and play. And actually ended up with a WWE signed talent on it. Because Rey Mysterio signed, but finished his obligation with uh, AEW, uh, finished his All In obligation uh, with his appearance there. So it was really a love letter to professional wrestling. And I think that's what All In should be. Maybe that's, I mean, I know you're AEW and you have a brand to sell. But for this one event, 80,000 people, the WrestleMania of your company, you know, let's just keep it with the original intention of what All In was. All right. Fair enough. I, like I said, I wanted to just bring that up because it was an, I, a thought that went through my head. But yeah, we, it's yeah. really going to come down to what AEW ends up doing with their schedule anyway. So, Dude, I would, cry, I, I, will, I would cry so hard if they got rid of it all out. <laughs> I, I, I get it, dude. Though. I get it. 
so we are, if I'm doing math correctly in my head, we like are going into like the fifth year of AEW. Like, you know, by we by the time we get to a double or nothing 2024, that would be like we just finished the fifth year, right? Or we're we entering Someone help me with math. No, we'll be starting. So this is the fourth year. Yeah. Somebody help me, please. Yes. Next year. I I, I try to help you think about this. Me and my wife got married in 2019. Next year is our fifth year anniversary. Okay. So we're in the fourth year. So as we go, so after we hit double or nothing 2024, that would begin the fifth year of AEW for all intents and purposes. So the one thing I was going to say with that, we are entering, I think, a new territory for AEW because... Now that they we've gotten a full two years post pandemic, like they're going to, I think Tony Khan and company is going to do things that is drastically different as they try to expand their global market to become a global wrestling promotion. So what AW has been from 19 through the pandemic, 2021, 2022, and this year, I think is going to be different than where their future, where they plan a future as I'm sure we'll, by the time we get to the show, there's more information that they broke at that press conference of new things that are going to be coming to show how this is going to be a different company than what it started as. All right. Well, I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, we can then move over now because uh, Floyd has been promised 15 million minutes of negativity. Um, now, again, we know he just came from London. He had a brand new experience in a brand new country. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't all butterscotch and candy it was wasn't all teen crumpets you know there were some problems so uh i I will step back because floyd's gonna allow me to go off too don't you worry y'all know what's coming with me but i'm gonna step back and i'm gonna let floyd go a little bit negative for a moment we're gonna get the negativity out relatively quickly in this show because it's mostly nothing but positive for the rest of the going of the show so i literally set a 15 minute timer on my phone so i don't go over uh, I uh, I probably won't even take up all 15 minutes because my complaint is pretty simple. They sold a ticket to an AEW welcome party. Uh, or when you bought the ticket, it was $60. You could uh, get to go to the welcome party. It was like it's going to be at something called Box Park and Wembley, which I found out is a Dave & Buster's type location. And um, they sold them a certain amount of tickets, and it sold out fairly quickly. Like, most of the people couldn't get a ticket after the pre-sale, right? So, first of all, we didn't know shit about this thing at all. Not a name was announced. Now, I mean, we knew the time, and we knew the place. We didn't know if there was going to be games. We didn't go to names. Uh, We get a $2 food voucher, but... Nothing. Nothing was promised. Uh, we Every day, people tagging Tony Khan, tagging AEW. Even into last week, we didn't know anything. My friend who says, Floyd, you know everything. You're Mr. AEW, which I, am, I don't accept that name at all, but that's what he calls me. Uh, he says, you're Mr. AEW. You know all the stuff that's going on. I was like, I have no fucking clue. We're, we're, we, get off the, we get off the train. Uh, we got off the train and we're walking up and he's asking me all these questions. I'm like, I don't think you understand. I really have no fucking clue. I know we're supposed to show up. So, <clears throat> so I get like messages from people that are already lining up and I'm like, I'll get down there because I know there's going to be meet and greets. But uh, again, I, I'm only saying this as fact. 
I have met most of the AEW roster. So with it being the welcome party and it's UK and a lot of these people in the UK have not got to meet their favorite wrestlers or meet their people in AEW, I figured I'm just going to go out back, hang with some people, see my friends from the UK. I'm nearly not going to worry about meet and greets. So everybody gets a chance to meet and greet. I had decided that. Uh, JR, you're with me. Didn't I tell you I wasn't worried about meet and greets? Absolutely. Unequivocally, you did not care about meet and greets. I said I didn't care. I wanted the people that never got to see the wrestlers to have time. So I'm not saying this to sign, try this out. This is exactly what I went in with. And I just wanted to hang out. Dude, I get there. The like box car place looks like a regular, maybe extended side Dave and Busters. But basically a Dave and Busters. If you've ever been to Dave and Busters, it, it, it's big for a gaming place. It's an adult showbiz pizza. They have a gaming section and everything. If you said, Floyd, how many tickets, if you want everybody to be able to fit and comfortably eat, do the meet and greets, go around the thing, how many tickets would you sell? I said 500. I would have said 500 to 1,000. I don't have, I did not have a ticker. But from looking, it was at least 5,000 people there. So I will say tentatively soft number, there was about four times as many people there that I thought should be. So I get in line. The thing starts at 10. We get in line at 945, right? It literally takes us two hours to get in. The thing's only from 10 to 2. And it took us to 11.45 to get in. And they didn't start opening the doors on time. So once we do get in, they have this merch thing. I'm trying to get into the meet and greet line. Can't find the meet and greet line. I go up the stairs because it looks like there's like lines pointing upstairs. And the lines upstairs was to get in the merch line. Guess what I had already done? Got to the merch. Well, I said, well, I just want to see if any of the merch is different. The dude says, the line's moving fast. Go back in the line. I was like, dude, it took me two hours to get in here. If I stand in this line just to see what's up there, just whatever's happening is going to be over. And I, I just, again, British people are different. I'm, I'm just like different country. I got to play for different rules. He was probably just being direct. Not, not rude. So... I back off. I'm about to, I'm already annoyed because I've been in a line for two hours, right? So I get back downstairs, right? And you can't move. It takes me roughly 10 minutes to get downstairs because it is wall to wall people, right? Get downstairs, get to moving through, like looking around, still to this, to this period of time. This is, uh, this is uh, Monday, Tuesday, if you want. I still can't tell you how to get in the actual meet and greet line. Still can't. I went, uh, went and looked at the game stuff. I, I was able to scan the figure and get the 1 to 1,000 Jamie Hayter all-in figure. Um, so that was cool. Then I had the $10 voucher. So I look at Steve. I'm like, dude, I'm at least going to. We waited two hours. I'm going to at least get my free food. I saw my friend Shirley, gave her a big hug, a lover, looked around, didn't see Simon, and my friend Simon at all. That's who I was excited to see, didn't see Simon. 
So we went and got uh, these uh, food. I uh, uh, forgot what the shit was called. Um, Yorkshire. It was a, a Yorkshire, Yorkshire pudding. Yorkshire sandwich. Oh. Yeah. And it was uh, like, so I get the Yorkshire sandwich and I take the drink. And it was a beef Yorkshire sandwich. Right. Now, when I tell you. People, I, people are gonna take this like I said. It was disgusting. It wasn't disgusting. Have you ever just ate something that literally had no flavor? It sounds like British food to me. So it had no flavor, like none, like none. It looked delicious. I took a picture of it. It looked scrumptious. I took a bite of it, and I look at Steve, and he was like, "Is he?" He's like, "Is it nasty?" I'm like, "It literally doesn't taste like anything." Like, I, I, I couldn't tell you what it tastes like. There's beef in it, but it doesn't even taste like what I have been told, you know, like, what I've had beef all my life to taste like. So, it's so packed in, I can't go get, like, salt or pepper. So, I kind of just choke it down because, shit, I paid for it. And then I had my drink, and then we looked around. We went and gave Shirley a hug, saw something on the stage, and then we struggled our way and got out. And then we left. And... I am very big, very big on this, what I'm about to say. So I really want you to think. Me and JR talk about wasted money, and I always say there's no such thing as wasted money. You uh, you get experience, you get this, you get that. There's no such thing as wasted money. So understand when I say this, I wasted $60 going to that event. I never say that, ever. I'd rather just gave AEW the $60 and walked away than what happened. If, if you were a fan of AEW, if you had no experience with AEW, and somebody brought you in to introduce to it, and you're like, oh, this is how their company runs, and you would leave. And you'd be like, I don't mess with that company. Because it was the most disorganized attempt at being organized I'd ever seen. And again, that's why I put this in the 15 minutes of negativity because this is not who I am. I want to enjoy every experience I want. Every, but I am speaking for the people that are fans that don't get these experiences all the time. Yeah, shit, it's old hat for me. But for the people that don't got an experience, it was literally the worst thing ever. London, not me, not Floyd. This is not about me. London and the fans of London and the fans of the UK that came out to AEW the first time deserved way better than that. So I didn't make it the whole 15 minutes. So if y'all wanted to ask me any specific questions about it, uh, I'm going to leave that open to you for the next couple. If you wanted to say any, ask anything. No, that does sound rough. I will say a thousand percent. Dude, uh, I, you could have met. I've more. been, and dude, I've been, I've been to conventions where shit is just not organized, and things are just like, who put this together? Who allowed this to happen? What was the logistics going into this situation? And to me, yeah, you rent out a Game and Buster's style venue, and you only have room for like maybe five hundred to a thousand people, and you book five thousand plus for fans. You're out of your mind. Yeah, and I want to say. You would have had a better experience literally just standing outside walk, watching wrestlers walk by and getting pictures with them. Because when I walked in, I passed Santana, I passed Thunder Rosa, I passed Will Hobbs. I was like, what's up? You know, got my dad like, hey, everybody. Because I knew if I wanted to picture with them, they're going to be in there. 
No, that was the last time I saw any of them because that place was that packed. I, I was going to say uh, one of the best things about AEW is that it creates like that tight knit, like kind of family community because it's like, I don't want to say it's a mom and pop business, but you know, it's like it's a, it's Tony Khan and people that are close to him that run it. You know, what's one of the worst things about AEW is that it's a tight knit family run company because when you are trying to be expand and become global, there are certain things you have to address. There's probably there's key contributors you have to bring in. So when you have 80,000 people for all in, you probably should, and you're doing a fan fest, you probably should book something like WrestleMania Access. And if you don't have that infrastructure to do, you probably should contract it out to somebody who knows what they're doing. And so that's what that screams to me is like, you don't know what you're doing and you're trying to do something, you don't know what you're doing. And as Dusty Rhodes said one time to a wrestler, don't do shit you don't know how to do. So like, and I know they've done conventions there because there's one I hear out every year called like for the love of wrestling that happens like after WrestleMania in like in England somewhere or the UK. So there's obviously people that know what to do over there. They just chose to try to do something by themselves that went horribly awry at sounds. So next year, either hire people in your marketing or events to do big events or contract it out to somebody else like they did for StarCast for All Out. My thing is you knew how many tickets were the problem. You knew how many tickets were sold. Like, even if you weren't expecting for that many, you've had months since that thing is sold out to adjust, and you didn't. You could have changed the venue. You could have done it outside because this was like this open walk area. You could have just set up stations outside and it would have been better than what I experienced. Well, what I did want to say, it sounds like either that or they didn't care. I didn't want to say they didn't care because I don't feel like that's fair. And you know what they did care about? Selling merch. <laughs> they cared about selling yes, merch. So. There yes, were so. There were four merch stands out there. You can get by all the merch you want. <laughs> like and then there was a merch stand in the building if you wanted merch you could get merch and so i've always i always say man they leave money on the table they did not leave money on the table when it came to merch this time you could get whatever you wanted they had plenty so yes there's a little bit of positivity they like i have I I have thought about that like we've been to merch stands and I was like man this is the most vanilla merch ever no they killed it on the merch the scarves were uh awesome uh they had a football jersey I even got one that's how awesome it was uh they had pretty much every shirt when I was there on it and yeah everything was available and and they had plenty and so you could get merch if you wanted merch. If somebody was like, I didn't get a shirt, man, they didn't have the shirt. They're, they either didn't, uh, they either uh, went to a different uh, section where they might have sold out at that section, right? Or they like waited to really, really late in the night because I, uh, someone did ask me to get a football jersey and I went really, really late after the show because I didn't want to get up during the show because everything was really far away from where we were sitting and uh, they didn't have any more. Uh, they only had like larges and smalls by the time I got there. So I wasn't able to get the Jersey that I wanted, but yeah, if you went early enough, you would have got anything. All right. Well, that was rough for sure. And I apologize for you, Floyd having to go through that. Um, but 
I think now we can go ahead and talk about the biggest wrestling show of all time. Unless, Floyd, was there anything else you wanted to say about your London trip before you got to Wembley Stadium for all it? Dude, I just have to reiterate. If you go there, they care about lines. Do not <laughs> do not think you're just going to go in and walk in front of somebody. N- that is never going to happen there. They have, like, like in the line to get in the event, there was, like, six people spread out to the line making sure it was organized. They got you in in a timely, organized manner. But you're not walking up at the time the doors open and just walking in front of someone. Uh-uh. Three people are going to stop you before that happens. I was I was in awe of the organization of getting people in and out of the building. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I've never really heard the line thing, but like it's it's wild to say here that that's such a huge deal. To you, us. You, I was about to say, you know me. I just walk in front at the beginning when the doors open. Yeah, you just go. Yeah, I just go. So. But. No, no. Floyd got in line, and Floyd waited just like every everybody else. Because <laughs> <laughs> they weren't playing. They gave you the looks. They they had their looks down. I think they, they do training on the looks. Like, no. Yeah, oh, yeah. Trust British people know how to judge. <laughs> yeah, they they got those looks down, and it was like, no. You just and you just turned around. You didn't question. You No. Yeah. They don't have time for Karens in the UK. They don't. You're shut hey, really? down. You can leave. Pretty much, you can leave. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Have to, they don't have time for the shit. And I love that they about. They don't know. <laughs> but let's go ahead and let's talk about the biggest wrestling show of all time. Um, I will say first off, I want to go to Floyd uh, for his first impressions of Wembley Stadium, and then I just want general, just consensuses of just overall vague uh thoughts about the pay-per-view as a whole that's all i want to hear at least from jump because we got a lot of matches to get through okay uh the stadium was beautiful so just huge just bigger than you thought once you get out there it was uh it was humongous our seats there was this first section and then the second section we were in the fifth row the second section uh this is when the seats were going really fast is when I bought them. I probably would have waited and bought other seats. Uh, but I did kind of the panic buy thing and you know, I was dealing with my passport. So even if I had my passport situation, I probably would have went in, looked and found better tickets, but I was just happy to be there. Uh, I was front. Unfortunately, my friend Steve was with me. Not that he was with me was the unfortunate part, but he's really short, unfortunately. He's like 5'1". So, yeah, he watched the... But what they did is on the ring thing where they had it uh, set up, the thing over the ring, they had four screens on each one. So you really didn't have a batting seat in the house. So no matter where you could see, you could at least see the screen. So we did watch a lot of the show on the screen, but, you know, me being a little taller, you know, like for the FTR Young Bucks match, I could uh, see straight into the ring. But, uh, yeah, a beautiful venue. I want to take everybody I know there. Uh, it's just there was this vibe and there was this energy about it that I just fucking loved. And I was feeding off of the whole show. Uh, so, yeah, I, w- I definitely want to do do that event with every friend I know. And, uh, yeah, overall, I had the fucking time of my life. So, and that's without 
giving any type of insight into the show. I had the fucking time of my life. JR, any initiative? All right, JR. Yeah, who does a pay-per-view at 9 a.m. in the morning? Like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, on a Sunday? What are we doing here? Come on. Who's the, who Dude, it was, two, it was two. It was like 1 p.m. for me. I'm good with that time. My, this is my only thing. I, and, I, and, I, I'm, and, and I'm saying that in jest because I really do feel for the fans out of America. Like, who I remember when, when I was in Ireland, I was watching like a UFC fight, and it was like at 2, 3 in the morning. Uh, I think I saw SummerSlam when I was in London around that time. I, I'm I'm playing with you guys. If you're over there listening to this, I am not bitching. Trust me. Like, you guys go through it all the time. Um, my only thing would have been, like, I, I really am digging Saturday shows. So I would have, I, I think for me, doing it on Saturday instead would have been slightly better. I, I think, I mean, on the West Coast, because we're a little bit, I mean, again, it was like 10 a.m. for us, 1 p.m. for you if you're on the East Coast. But there's like certain family obligations that people may have to have on Sundays that they don't have on Saturdays, which may be a little bit better to do on Saturday. That's the only thing I say about time. The second thing is that I everything Floyd said about like how big it was, I've seen it on television. I'm like, this is fucking huge. And I'm like, man, wrestling is really not meant for stadiums because that stadium is massive and that ring looked really small in that stadium, even on television. I'm like, you're going to have to get... Uh, and Floyd and I, I think we're joking about this. Like, when you go to, like, AT&C, AT&T Stadium for WrestleMania, that massive screen in the center of the stadium is, like, you know, is amazing. And when you go to other stadiums that don't have something like that, you really miss it because yes, they did have the four television screens, but even me seeing it at home when they did like the zoom outs, like, cause they were getting amazing aerial footage, yeah. crowd footage. I was like, man, those screens still look small. Like I'm, I see people sitting 27, 30 rows back on the floor. And I'm just like, that screen still looks too small to be watching the event, the event on. So I was like, you're going to have to like invest in more screens, bigger screens, whatever, because it's just like, again, the atmosphere had to be nuts. But it's just I I was thinking about that because I've been thinking about stadiums with me going to Wrestle Kingdom in Tokyo. I'm just like, God, wrestling is not meant for stadiums. It's a great, great atmosphere, but it's just tough to see if you're not in those first few rows. For real. Um, my first impressions was, uh, this was an absolutely great show. I didn't think there was a bad match on the card, like a match that was like less than three stars, honestly. Um, outstanding moments, uh, really just, it felt like a WrestleMania, like, and for a company that has only been around for like double or nothing, 2019 was four years ago. That was the first AEW show. All out was all the first all in was five years ago for a company that has been around this little amount of time. And they did a show like this is a massive accomplishment. And then, look, I know people are, have been talking to about the numbers that Philadelphia WrestleMania has sold already and how it has already, quote unquote, has already seemed to surpass this show as well. I don't care about that matter. I'm just ecstatic for the fact that these amount of tickets can be sold for pro wrestling in 2023. Everyone was like, you know, it's fake. Why do people care? Like kayfabe had been taken out back and shot dead in its tracks. People don't care. Wrestling is wrestling matters and people care about wrestling and it's wrestling is popular. That's all that 
the, this show and the numbers for WrestleMania 40 have been telling me is that wrestling is popular and is a legitimate avenue for entertainment for people. And I, I love it, honestly. It's, it's, it makes me the happiest in the world because I love this industry and I love pro wrestling with all my heart. Um, those are my just generic thoughts, though. Uh, and gonna... I, as a person that has been to quite a few WrestleManias, it's the only thing I can compare it to. And the production value of the show, uh, everybody's like, no one can do that except WWE. That was proven wrong yesterday. So Yeah. No, and it's crazy to think that, that I'm saying that was proved wrong yesterday, and I'm in Oklahoma today. That's just like, it blows my mind as someone that had never left oh, the country yeah. before. <laughs> like, yesterday I was in London. <laughs> like, what? I, I was going to say one thing, too, because you, cause you guys talking about ticket sales, uh, Austin. Uh, UK fans, European fans, are extremely passionate about professional wrestling. So wrestling companies, both AEW and WWE, you probably should run there, you know, a little bit more often because you probably they they would do amazingly. I'm glad AEW is going back for all in 2024, but they want this. They crave this. They need this because they are so passionate and they thirsted. Like if you if you do this once a year, I don't see and especially if you you know, there's certain logistics you have to like keep in mind, like you probably shouldn't go crazy with raising ticket prices and Things that, and you know, probably you know, build strong cards, but you would probably do eighty thousand every year in Wembley if you if you do it correctly because they want this type of event. Like you know, like Floyd mentioned, you know, when we did it before, you only get one shot doing your first time, but you can be successful very well and do amazing ticket sales by doing this once a year for them because they want this. Like I said, it's not just London and the in England and the UK. It's all of Europe that wants something like this. Yeah. Well, just international wrestling, too, whether it be the Puerto Rico show for WWE, whether it be this show for AEW, like the the want and need for international wrestling is so high. So I hope that we just get to see more pay-per-views in different countries. Uh, the press conference, they mentioned uh, uh, AEW doing a show in Mexico or Puerto Rico or just a Latino-focused uh, uh, area. Uh, and Tony Khan was absolutely game for it if the circumstances were right. And I'm, like I said, just I love having wrestling shows in the states. I get to go to a lot of them because of it. It's very nice. But also, I know how passionate Nash, like other wrestling fans, are outside of this country, and they deserve to get big shows too. So I'm all for like just the growth of inter- international wrestling though for these companies. But uh, let's get into the matches though. We start off with Zero Hour and the. Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship match, better than you, Bebe, before their main event matchup for the AW World Championship. We're facing off against Aussie Open for the Ring of Honor World T- Tag Team Championships. Uh, we got another fun, better than you, Bebe tag team match, which featured a lot of stuff from their previous matches that they've done. A lot of fun comedy elements, uh, a lot of uh, shenanigans. Uh, the kangaroo kick fucking nearly blew the roof off of Wembley Stadium, and the show had just started. Uh, it was hysterical, and shockingly enough, better than you, Bebe won. We all thought that they were going to lose, and it was going to set up for what would happen in the main event, but they are your new Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions. Uh, it was a fun match, and definitely the match that you want to use to open the show. Uh, and the only thing else that came before this, I will say, was that they got greater on the show. 
They got uh, they got Paul White on the show to knock out uh, Jeff Jarrett, and they got Grado on the show. So, honestly, that was uh, the only thing that came before that. Oh, uh, no. Whoa, Shouts whoa. out Grado. Whoa, whoa. UK's own Olympic Absolutely. No, I'm not trying and to pass the, over Grado. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you passed over Go-Go. He's not and, on TV. I don't give a fuck. Uh, Anthony Agogo. Hey, the only Olympic medalist in this uh, ring. Put some respect on his name, okay? Don't put him. Here. Don't put him and Paul White next to a scale. Oh, yeah. That was that. That turned didn't turn out. Well. Bro. Yeah. I'm stuck. That, that just gave me flashbacks now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bro. Whoa. That was rough. Oh, that yeah. was rough. I was, ah. that was a cheap shot. I'm sorry. I was never a great old guy. So whatever. Anthony, a go go. Grado for life. I'm gr- I'm great all the way before I'm a go go. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Olympic gold, Olympic medalist. He was not a gold medalist since I got jacked. But Olympic medalist, Anthony Gogo. Uh, but yeah, that happened. Uh, my thoughts on the tag match. It's the only only result of the whole evening that got me upset. Oh they, yeah, they, uh, come on. You have we not been friends long enough? Real tag teams over everybody. <laughs> the fact that you're gonna take Floyd, this, Floyd, they have a name. They have that you take this makeshift two month old tag team and put them over one of literally the best tag teams in the world. Uh, Aussie Open, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi! Oh my God! Like literally, the matches. One of the few really, UK's own that yeah, didn't yeah, yeah, win. Yeah. Well, they're from Australia because that's why they're Aussie Open. Yeah. Just throwing that out there for sure. you, sir. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oi, oi, oi. I can't believe Tony Storm did win. You <laughs> can uh, I was going to make that joke of just making all the Australian people from the UK and seeing if how, how pissed off I get people. And I, that was the first loud chant of the night was, oi, oi, oi. Now, uh, very excited. I, I, uh, I got to shout out to Kyle Fletcher. The fear which he showed when they first tried for the double clothesline and how they had to get out of there. They treated the double clothesline with so much respect. Then when he finally could, did, the, they finally busted out the kangaroo kick. The bumps, uh, the bumps that uh, him and his partner took. Uh, they sold it. They sold the shit out of it. And literally, when he hit the double clothesline, he just took the bump like all the way on the back of his neck. Like you would have thought, like JBL just hit him with the clothesline from hell. How he sold that lariat, and then they got the three. Now, did was it fan friendly? Absolutely. Did everybody go crazy? Absolutely. Did old man tag team in me a little piece of me die? Absolutely. I was so annoyed. Real tag teams over put together tag teams. That's the only way tag team wrestling is special. If two just random guys can get together and start dominating tag teams, then tag teams mean nothing. Tag team wrestling for life. Asi, asi, asi. Oi, oi, oi. JR? Yeah, I have to, you know, second what Floyd said. I have criticized the company in uh based out of uh, connecticut for doing this i cannot stand when you use tag team championships uh, as uh, some sort of means for single rivalries or single feuds or single matches i never liked it i think it's disrespectful to traditional tag team wrestling um 
With that being said, I thought it was a, f- a great fun match. I think all four men put on a heck of a performance. I really enjoyed it up until like the finishing, you know, the ending because it's just again it was like why I don't get it. But hey, it is what it is though. Um, and I I laughed about the kangaroo kick because I said. I was like, I was off by a week, but I was like, they're going to release a shirt. This is going to be a thing. They're going to make a shirt. And as God is my witness, as soon, I think as soon as they hit three, Pro Wrestling Tees and Shop AEW dropped the kangaroo kick shirt. So, uh, yes. Ridiculous. uh, Someone said they must have used the same designer as the Orange Cassidy shirts. I believe it, honestly. (laughs) So, Um, but yeah. Um, I wonder if really anyone's going to truly believe that I was being serious about the, uh, about the oh, the only people from the UK that lost. I truly wonder if you were going to think I was serious about that, though. Regardless, anyways, we had a cut to the crowd afterwards, and Mercedes Monet was in attendance. Shout out to the uh, Wyndham uh, armband, armband as well. But uh, uh, can they get her a better seat, though, yo? Yeah, honestly, it didn't seem like a box or anything like that. Like, I mean, I, like, I mean, if she ain't going to be like a 30, 30 pound seat. If you're not gonna give her the first row, at least have her in the royal box, man. Looking, what I'm saying, she's Monet. I mean, man, I could afford that ticket that she was in. <laughs> the hell? That was about a forty pound seat. Yeah, I was like, what the hell is that? And I'm like, uh, and some strange white dude was next to her. I have no idea who that was, but oh yeah, he made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, look, strange white dudes next to Mercedes. That doesn't seem out of the ordinary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like people are weird around her, but uh, final match of Zero Hour, the FTW Championship match between uh, Jack Perry and people don't care about this match. They only care about one thing. Floyd, I'm going to start my 15 minutes at this point, honestly, for real. All right. Well, we should at least go over the result really quick. You do that, bro. You do that. Yeah, okay. I'm setting up my I'm setting up my timer. All right. So, Jungle Boy and Hook came out. Hook, you know, everybody reacted the way they were supposed to. Jungle Boy was the heel. I thought, to me, as a person that has not that been that big on Jungle Boy, I thought this was some of his best, most believable heel work. And how they used the car, and during the match, he decided. Uh, that uh, there was a spot with Hook on the glass, and he's like, uh, this is real class. Cry about it to the screen. Uh, and uh, this was in reference to a story that came out. If you listen to the show, you probably already know about the story, that there was a bit of a disagreement at a collision uh, between CM Punk and Jack Perry on the use of real glass in a promo and how they disagreed on whether it should be used. I don't like this is all speculation. I don't get too much into whether the, the backstage politics. I like all from all I know it happened. They decided uh, it was uh, Jack Perry and CM Punk had a disagreement. They decided not to use the glass or whatever. And he said if uh if uh, he allegedly said, if you want to do that, take it to Dynamite. Neither here nor there. They're trying to set a different vibe on Collision. I understand it. Jack Period also has a way that he's been used to doing things. So I understand that. So uh, I don't take a side because I don't do in wrestling, but that is 
that is the facts as they have been reported. Um, then so uh, Jack Perry made a uh, uh, announce. I mean, made a made a point to bring that up during that. Uh, the end of the match came after some cross faces, and then Hook put uh, Jack in the Taz mission, and Jack tapped out. Hook is your new FTW champion. I don't know if this is first two-time FTW champion, but he is the new FTW champion. The crowd went wild. Uh, JR, what did you think of this match? It was fine. I I like Hook. I, I really enjoy his... Uh, I'm, I'm just impressed by his athletic ability, but I don't want to say I dislike Jack Perry. I just feel very indifferent about him. It's like... If you ever seen the movie with Sinbad called First Kid, where he plays like the Secret Service for the the president's child, and he goes to like a rich prep school, private school, and there's like that bully at the rich private school, that's who Jack Perry reminds me of. And I just like he just seems like an an act an actor playing a role that just doesn't I don't know it just doesn't click for me. Again, it's not that. I, I don't know if it will, if I will eventually hate it or like it. I'm just very indifferent about it, and I keep saying it. I think it's in order to get him over as a heel, put him with Don Callis because Don Callis is a despicable piece of shit and will be a great talker and a great mouthpiece to help get Jack Perry over as a heel because I just don't feel very strong about him. And I think by not feeling strong about him makes me not really care about his matches. All right, let me start my timer. <clears throat> let me warm up my voice, too. So, timer started. Okay. So, let me preface this again that this is over using fucking glass in a fake pro wrestling match or a fake pro wrestling segment. This is what this is over. Fucking this childish, dumbass shit. Okay. So, yes. Jungle Boy Jack Perry, during his match, feels the need to go, you see that? Real glass, go cry me a river. I guess he's a fan of Justin Timberlake or something. So, that happens. And then that would lead into the start of the main card, which opened with the real world championship match between CM Punk and Samoa Joe reportedly after Jack Perry's match, but before CM Punk's match, either two things happened because it's a, he said it's, it's literally limp biscuit. It's a bunch of, he said, she said bullshit, whether it be who started the oral ordeal, either a Jack Perry got in punk's face, like shoulder chuck, like checked him. Then punk proceeded to then get in his face after to response to that. Jungle Boy Jack Perry came at CM Punk, which ended with him getting choked out. Or Punk got in his face, and there was arguments, and Punk maybe swung, and then regardless, there was a fight, and then it ended with with Jack Perry being choked out. So regardless of the whole situation, apparently it just all seems to end with Jack Perry getting choked out. That's the one thing that at least somehow seems to be consistent. It is being reported that Jack Perry was sent home, uh, Tony Khan did mention at the start of the press conference that there was an altercation. He would not comment on it from that point, but there was an investigation going into it. Uh, There are now being reports that both men have been suspended. That has not been fully confirmed yet. I've seen that floating around, though. But the train has started up. You know, even after the biggest wrestling show of all time, a show that had 81,035 people in attendance you just can't help yourself. You have to talk about CM Punk. But the problem is, the only thing you can talk about with CM Punk is that he's an asshole. I wake up this day, oh, CM Punk's an asshole. Okay, the next day, 
CM Punk's an asshole. The next day, CM Punk's an asshole. I'm sorry. Can we tell a new story? Can we tell something different? Can we have a new development in this? Because it just seems to be the same shit every single week with this bullshit. So, again, I will repeat. This is overusing fucking glass in a wrestling segment. One guy being like, we don't do this on this show, which also... I jokingly was like, well, he said we don't do this on Collision. He didn't say anything about doing it on All In, so I don't get why you're being so pissy about it. But also, one guy says we don't do that with a little bit of safety in mind to it. And then the other guy, no disrespect, acts like a kid who just had his Game Boy taken away from him. That's, that's the way I take it, dude. And at the end of the day, with the stories that are being told from one side or the other, you know what it all began with? You taking time out of the biggest wrestling show in the history of this industry to talk about fucking internet drama bullshit during your match. You were the one that went out there and said, you see that real glass, go cry me a river. Instead of focusing on your match and telling a story, actually, and doing something with your match. You wanted to make it an issue. So again, as I've said before with this situation... Y'all continue to want to fuck around and find out like you don't know how this is going to end. Like I said, you poke a bear and it bites you and you get mad that the bear bites you. Don't poke the fucking bear. I've said this over and over. And again, the cycle continues. It just continues on a different day and with a different person and with a different type of thing that happened backstage and a different thing that people are arguing about. Like, can we do something different? Like, there's nothing new out of this. There's nothing new out of this. And I'm sorry, but Punk and Joe showed you in their match why they are here, why they do the things that they do, and why they do it better than anybody else. People still are talking about Punk and Joe's match because they didn't do a ton, but they still killed it. It was literally one of the best matches on the card. I don't feel hyperbolic in saying that. Call me a fanboy if you want. I really don't care. But that was one of the better matches on the card. Like, it would be top, like, at least top five for me. At least. But you get mad because you can't use real glass in your stupid fake wrestling segment, and then you get pissy about it, and then you get mad enough to get into somebody's face, and it ends up becoming a fight. Like, there's no reason why there should be a fight about this. And the reports are coming out now that basically Punk is getting, like, so frustrated. It's like, I hate it here. Saying things like he thought about, like, legit quitting again. And again, so it just seems like another situation of I'm hurt, I'm old, I'm tired, tired, and I work with fucking children. So again, we're back to fucking square one. And there just seems to be no communication. There seems to be no like settling shit. We're in a world right now where we are literally like the way that I saw this whole ordeal happening was that the collision keeping CM Punk away from the elite was just a temporary situation. So that way we could eventually get everybody in a room, talk, and then settle it. And then just get to the point where we can do business so we can do CMFTR versus the Elite. Because I will say this again. If you are bringing CM Punk back, you are doing this feud. And if you aren't doing this feud, you don't bring CM Punk back. I say that as a guy who loves CM Punk and loves the fact that he's still on my TV wrestling and he's still good at it. But if you're bringing CM Punk back, you're doing this feud or else you're wasting everybody's time. This is what everybody wants to see. And it just seems like we're not getting anywhere. Because I'm sorry, TK is way more comfortable with just placating everybody and then just closing his eyes and pretending like there's no problems anymore. All punks on collision, all the elite are on AEW. It just seems on dynamite. It just seems like we're all square and good. We're not. 
The Young Bucks still have not talked to them, and there's nowhere closer to meeting in the middle about this so we can do this feud. And again, we are building towards a CM Punk heel turn. You can tell me that he's going with the babyface run all you want. This is building to a CM Punk heel turn. He is literally doing John Cena Hulk Hogan shit, and y'all are acting like this man's not about to turn heel and run roughshod on everybody. Guys, this man's trying to do business in the way that he knows makes sense. Him being a heel, the elite babe being babyfaces, and then this becomes the hottest feud in pro wrestling, and he gets to be the best version of CM Punk, which is a heel, badass, dickhead CM Punk. This is what we are trying to do, and it just seems like we're just stuck. Like, I enjoy Collision. I enjoy having this different show and everything like that. But I'm sorry. We are getting to a point right now where this needs to be leading towards this feud. And in regards to Hook and all this other shit, dude, like, I'm sorry. Grow the fuck up. It's about glass in wrestling. Like, this should not be an issue. I don't care if the guy said you can't use it on TV. Like, bro, you go to the other company, they will give you so many more rules about other shit that you can't do. And I'm sorry, it's their rules. You can't, you like, they don't, they didn't let you do pile drivers in WWE for the longest time. And it was just one of their rules. Was it stupid? Sure. But it's rules. And it was about safety. Maybe a little bit too much over the top, but like that, at the end of the day, using real glass in a wrestling segment is about safety at the end of the day. I don't understand why this is such a big fucking deal. And again, it just opens the door for people to hate on CM Punk because this is y'all favorite pastime. This is just all that you guys care about doing. Do you want to talk about All In? No, I want to talk about how much I hate CM Punk. You want to talk about the outstanding matches on All In? No, I want to talk about how much I hate CM Punk. You want to talk about the numbers that this show did, how it was the highest grossing AEW pay-per-view of all time, how it is literally the biggest wrestling show of all time? No, I want to talk about how much I hate CM Punk. Get a life! Get a fucking life for the love of God. I'm so sick and tired of it. Like, just let it go. He is in AEW right now. He is doing good business for the company, and people need to grow the fuck up. Like, do business with this man. You don't have to like him, but do business at the end of the day. He puts up with a bunch of shit with y'all. Because y'all have problems with him and y'all want to say stuff on Twitter or you all want to get up in his face and you want to have arguments and you want to do all this bullshit and you want to have producers do shit and like shit on Twitter and all this and be petty fucking dickheads. Y'all want to have this be drama? Like two, It takes two to tango. I'm sorry. I'm done with this. I'm done being nice. I'm done being placated. This shit is ridiculous. And again, you poke a bear and you got bit and you're mad that the bear bit you. So I'm tired of being feeling sorry about this, and I'm tired of placating wrestling fans. The way fans are acting are being ridiculous, and the way these wrestlers are acting are ridiculous. Everyone is acting like fucking children. Be adults. There's no reason why this should be taking away from this card. There's no reason this should be taking away from this big show. And everyone who's mad that it is, you're feeding into it. Whether it be the wrestling media, whether it be the people backstage, y'all are feeding into this. You could make it go away like that. But you feed into it. I have like five minutes left on my timer, but I'm calling it right now. I need to go get a fucking drink at this point. But like if anybody wants to comment on it, like I straight up, I got nothing else to say. And I'm honest to God fed up. So I'm getting a, I'm stepping away for a second and I'm getting a drink. I will let Floyd and JR take over from right here because I'm honestly fucking heated at all this fucking shit. So Floyd, y'all just give me a split second. I'll be back in a minute. Hey, everybody. Uh, yeah, I am. I I respect Austin's passion. 
I am not that passionate about it. I uh, I realized by earlier I uh, being on the show, I don't think I really have any influence on anybody. But just in case I do, when I used to play along with the CMFTR, the Elite Feud, and I was on one side or the other, I you know. I just in case someone took me seriously, I doubt it. I, I doubt that I affect anybody else's uh, feelings on wrestling. My thing is this: I am big on get it, get the fuck over it, and wrestle. I mean, honestly, this was the easiest thing in the world to control. After the show, you know, you say, "Hey, Jungle Boy and CM Punk got into it in the back," you know. Based on this off-screen altercation, we got CM Punk versus Jungle Boy next week on Collision. And you, you go there, and everybody just thinks it's a work, and everybody moves on. This, is, this has been wrestling forever. And I, like I said, it's just like, it's a part of wrestling that I used to when I was uh, 15, 16. I used to crave to know all this information about wrestling. But now that I'm older and I just want to enjoy wrestling this information is so dumb I don't care if they like each other I don't care if they use real glass just go out there and entertain and do what you're paid to do do what you're better than anybody in the world at doing what you were some people feel they were put on this earth to do do that CM Punk Oh my God, when that match with Samoa Joe was starting and I watched it and I was like, oh God, I was, you know, I had kind of started doubting Punk and his abilities and saying he, how he had lost a step and then him and Joe go out there and put on that really, really good match and I really, really enjoyed it and we got a three and he played to the crowd and he was playing them like a fiddle with the emotion and it was great and that's all I want to think about. I just want to live in that. I don't need the backstage information anymore. I'm actually seeing, I know a few people backstage now. And because of that, I really want to stay away from the backstage stuff. I only want to talk about it because now when you're talking about it, you're talking about it affecting real lives and real people. And that's, I don't, that's not what I want. I just want wrestling. I want to turn it on, uh, uh, TBS on Wednesdays, TNT on Saturdays, Rampage. Uh, I just want to turn on and watch wrestling. And if these people get along or not, I don't care. I imagine my favorite NFL team, the Kansas City Chiefs, I imagine that there are people on the Kansas City Chiefs that don't get along. And I don't care. And I still don't care. I don't care if uh, CM Punk likes Jungle Boy or Jungle Boy likes CM Punk or the glass thing. I don't care if you do and it affects how you care about wrestling i am sorry i am sincerely sorry because wrestling is the thing i probably love more than anything in this world and i would hate that it would take away from your joy in any way anyway but dude i can't care about this stuff I, I used to do it in a joking manner and i thought it was funny it was just funny to me i guess this shit is stupid. It is beyond stupid. I, I wish I could look these grown men in the eye and tell them how stupid it is. But you're allowed to feel the way you feel. And I will say this. I don't, like I said, I'm not on the punk side. I'm not on the young buck side. But really, a lot of this stuff seems like it's punk kind of being the way it is. 
someone starting shit and people not liking how punk react to it. And that's what it seems like it is to me. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't ask. I don't know because I don't care. JR, any thoughts? The only thing I would say is CM Punk, I feel like we've known this for about a decade, is extremely outspoken. And if he feels that he is right, he's going to speak up and say if he is right. I think that's a fair assessment based on everything we've heard going back to when he walked out of WWE in January 2014. So with that being said, him coming into AEW, and in his mind, he's like, look, there's this great company called AEW, and they have a lot of potential. They're doing several hundred thousand on TNT. They have doing 100, 125, 150,000 pay-per-view buys. You get merch numbers. If we do certain things, we could grow the audience. So in his mind, he's like, I'm, I don't want to speak for CM Punk, but it's like, hey, you know, if we do this or we do that differently, you know, he's using his experience working in a major international wrestling company previously to see what they can do. And within reason, because obviously you don't want to, like, just turn everything upside down. But, um, like, again, you know this is what he is. In fact, like, you all, you know, many of you were coming to his defense is like, man, that WWE was a shit company to work for, and he said all that. So he is, again, doing what he does, and you just don't like it because he's going... The beef is with the elite. And in turn, now it's seems like Jungle Boy is a part of that, and Jungle Boy is friends with the elite because they all win that PWG, LA, SoCal wrestling base. And I think at the end of the day is you blame CM Punk, and that's fine. You have your right to that. But I look at it a different way as somebody who's, who basically is, in my realm, a manager. This all falls on one person. It's Tony Khan sandbox. And he sets the rules, and he sets the way that people play in his sandbox. And until he puts his foot down, there is no one else to blame except Tony Khan because he could very easily squash this. He's choosing not to. So to me, it's either he's the greatest promoter of all time because this is all some elaborate work, or is he is extremely inept at managing and needs somebody to help him. I don't see how there's any other two ways about it. So that's all my thing is. Okay, and I only ask one follow-up on that. One follow-up, I mean, as a manager, you say he's the only one that can stop this. He can squash it. How? How do you make grown men get along? Oh, I mean, you literally say this is what you're going to do or you can seek jobs elsewhere. Because that's where it's boiled down to. It's literally got to this place of where if you cannot go into a... You two cannot even be in the same room with each other, somebody has to leave. Like, I mean, that's it's really what it's come down to because you're saying you can't wrestle on Wednesdays, you can't wrestle on Saturdays. Now, this guy can't be on Saturdays. He has to be on Wednesdays. You can't even be in the same room with each other. You can't even be in the same hallway with one another. That is not, that is a very toxic work environment. So as, I mean, there may be grown men, but all office places have grown men and grown women. So it's like either you, either, either you respect one another and be professional or you self seek employment elsewhere. Now, obviously he just signed the elite to a new contract, as we just know. 
And we assume that CM Punk has an ironclad contract. So you, you know, as somebody said about, um, so somebody said this about a current Anaheim Angels player, Anthony Rendon, who's has 96 million left on three years and is a very, not a very good player for the angels. You just fucking eat the money and send him home. So that's my, that's what I would do. That's what I'm saying is that I, that it, that's where it's come down to. If this is all real, like this is real beef, that's what, what that that is where you're being pushed to because you're not addressing the issue. I mean, it's no different than like I mean, this happens all the time. Like, NFL fights happen all the time. Teammates get in fights. I just I remember watching the one with Martellus Bennett. I think when he was with the Bears, like you know, you have to address it. Yeah, I get I get it. Uh, well, let's talk more about wrestling and Mr. Austin, guide yeah. us through the rest of the show. Well, okay. the beginning of the show, the first match. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like I said, the Punk and Joe match was really good. Like I said, it was one of my favorite matches on the card, just like top five for me. Um, I loved how he managed to <clears throat> uh, include a, uh, a little tribute to Terry Funk with the spinning toll hold. Uh, everyone thought he was going for a figure four for a second, and then he just kept doing the toll hold. And I was like, oh, wait, this is Terry Funk. I was like, hang on a minute, uh, which is awesome. Uh, Samoa Joe put him in an STF, which I thought was hysterical, especially after CM Punk did the uh, four, five moves of doom uh, and also did the uh, Hulk Hogan uh, ear and leg drop, uh, which is lovely. Um, but at the end of the day, as these guys were working themselves and just Joe also – proceeding to dodge uh, Punk's dive to the outside, just walking slowly and doing the wanker motion and then taking Punk and then just swinging him through the bottom of the announce table. And he went through it, went through it. It was such a good spot. Um, Punk got the shit kicked out of him for a good majority of this match. Um, But as the match kept going on, though, Joe was looking to do the avalanche uh, brain buster. Punk fights out of it. And then you did the biggest mistake in your life. You got on the top rope with CM Punk facing you, and you have your back towards the back of the towards the center of the ring. So you got Pepsi plunged, and that is how he finished the match. He won with the Pepsi plunge, and Punk retains the uh, real world championship. Poses with a fan with a trans lives ma- trans trans lives are human rights uh, ma- trans rights are human rights uh, sign, which was a nice little touch, and then he walks to the back, presumably to get suspended. Because at this point, what the fuck else is new? It's a new week. Punk is suspended because everyone hates everybody. It's fine. Y'all are children. Um, yeah, it's hilarious. Um, but this match was amazing. Uh, I thought it was really good. I told JR that, you know, that uh, for CM Punk to thrive, that the match had to be very physical. And that's what it was. Uh, there was this moment where Punk was about to do uh, the reverse crossbody on a Joe, and Joe uh, walked away, and uh, CM Punk was like, uh, yeah, and he faked it, and he came back with a Hurricanrana, and that was the callback to the callback to the callback. <clears throat> and I, I love that uh, Punk outthinking Samoa Joe. Uh, the crowd was with Punk. They sung his song. So his music hits, they boo. Then they sing every word to his song. 
then he gets in the ring, and then they boo him for the rest of the match, and he gives them the middle finger, and it was amazing. And I love the UK crowd, and I was drinking it all in, and I'm a big old nerd. So there you go. JR, what did you think? The, the only thing I'm going to add is the, how much I just extremely love and enjoy Samoa Joe because basically when they decided, okay, Joe, you're going to work babyface and CM Punk's going to work heel, he fully embraced the babyface role in the in at uh, in Wembley, like him getting them to start the Olay chance and him just soaking it in. Like he is such a phenomenal talent. Like, and I. I just want to see more Samoa Joe on my television because I really think he's just amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, straight up. Yeah, CM Punk curtain jerk. <clears throat> CM Punk curtain jerked with the fir- uh, first wor- uh, uh, with the f- uh, fake world title. Yes, he is such not a team player. Fake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. so I'm just saying uh, he's not a team player. Also, at all. talk about the go- like the absolute balls to have the hook match before him, then Punk, and then afterwards you have the elite match after that. Oh, like, uh, uh, dude, dude, how the match how the matches popped off in the show was very interesting, but I and ultimately thought it worked. Uh, this match going on first, I was like, you had. Oh two- no, it was honestly like I, this was where I wanted the match to be. Honestly. So you, you had two strong entrances, and with that crowd, you needed something completely keep them into the show, and they were amazing entrances to start. I, I like I said, I love this match. I uh, it's like like I said, I've always been very clear about not having sides. I think a lot of stuff has been overblown about both sides. So you know who cares. Uh, at that point, but uh, shout out to uh, Punk. You, you can. You, I am just saying the man will do business when it's need to be. He might be difficult to work with. Like I, like I said, I don't know. I've never worked with the man. I don't work in wrestling. I just talk about it. But um, you know, he seems to be able to understand what the crowd wants and uh, feed on it based on it. And this was a fun match because at the end of that match, when he hit that Pepsi plunge and that three hit, they popped. They popped. Oh, yeah. You can't tell me they didn't pop, brother. They popped. And he kept and the title. Like, just so, okay. I was <laughs> going to say, uh, so CM Punk, this is the second pay-per-view. His first back, his second, the first one at Forbidden Door, he was second on the card, and now he's first on the card. So, yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. People are not one thing. That's what I want to keep saying. That's what I keep telling people. People are not one thing. But that doesn't fit people's narratives. Yeah, people are not one thing. This dude has a this dude can be a dick sometimes and an angel other times, and he can be trans life matter to other times. I've, yeah, yeah, I've I mean, said, dude, he can be your best friend or your worst enemy. It's so cool. yeah, the, and I say that about everybody. That's what I'm like. The focus here is on punk, right? That's who the conversation about. But that's everybody. Everybody, no one's uh, uh, Alistair Black. Alistair Black, not Malachi. No one is absolutely no one is good. No one is absolutely evil, and you have to take that into consideration. That not every no one's perfect. A lot of people are awesome, and then they have bad moments. Even me, I am. Most people consider me the nicest person they ever met. I'm not saying that to put myself over. I really am not. I'm saying this because this has been said to me. But guess what? I fucked up quite a bit in life. (laughs) And there are people out there that think I'm shit. And deservingly so. 
I, I was gonna say because yeah. uh, I just heard this earlier today. Two things can be true: CM Punk could be a, the biggest asshole in the world, but he also could not be completely not have the blame either. Yeah, so I don't know. But but let's move on to yeah, uh, no, more straight wrestling. up. Like I said, yeah, like we'll we'll move we'll move on to it. And all I'll say again is, like I said, I I don't care about sides at this point. Like I said, I love everybody involved. I like I like Jack Perry. I like the Elite. I like CM Punk. I like everybody involved. But the way you all act about this is pathetic. You don't know these people. You don't. These people don't pay your checks. They don't do anything like that. They just provide you entertainment on TV. It doesn't matter what they get involved with backstage, which is not privy to us. So let all of this shit fucking go. It's all. All, all right. Next match. Next match. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. I've been. So hey, uh, mad it's week after week with this shit. It's yes. Week after week. But we, so we, got, we, we can't ask. We, yeah, we can't ask people to let it go and then not let it go. Yeah. So we got Bullet Club <laughs> Gold and Takesha. Yes. All right. Golden Elite versus Bullet Club Gold, Kenny Omega, Hangman, and Hakoto Ibushi versus Juice Robinson, Jay White, and Kanosuke Takeshita with Don Callis at the broadcast booth for this match. Um, I mean, dude, I got to see Ibushi and Jay White in the UK just beat the living shit out of each other. It was like I was watching a New Japan show in the UK in a little bit. Um, and this match was a lot of fun. I thought there was some crazy spots in this one. Hangman was able to get a lot of juice just being able to run all over the place and knocking everybody down. Um, I love shit, like Bullet Club Gold, the way that they've gotten over and how they've just completely become one of the like hot factions in AEW is just amazing. Um, I loved like just the little glimpses that we got of Kenny Omega versus Konosuke Takeshita, which they did announce that we are going to get at All Out. Um, I love the little glimpses that we got of that little match in this trios match. And I thought these guys really did a good job. Um, the match in the final moments of it, uh, we had a point where uh, Jay White uh, shoved Kesha out of the way of a buckshot lariat. Uh, and then Ibushi then took Jay White and hit a knee strike onto him. Um, but as it kept going on, though, it looked like uh, Takeshita was going to get Ibushi and knock him down. And once it, things started going on, Jay White goes for a blade runner on Kenny Omega. He hits uh, a few V-triggers. But then Takeshita, though, proceeds to come up, roll up Kenny Omega, pins him, and gets one over on Kenny Omega. This outcome to me just seemed like because it, it needed to have some heat getting ready for the uh, all-out match. It did seem like it was kind of a quick way to end the match itself, which was really getting like going, it felt like. So it wasn't necessarily a satisfying ending, but I at least knew that like they were going to get this towards uh, all-out uh, at the end of the day. But uh, I still thought it was a good match. Uh, the ending did was just seem like it was super quick after so much stuff took place in this match. And then for it to quickly end with a roll-up like that just kind of threw me off for a minute. But I still thought the guys did, like, everyone was really, really strong in this match. Yeah, I, re I really enjoyed this match. I love Jay White. Uh, uh, Jay White is, like, yeah, I, I, I was, I just think he's a great despicable heel. Him, him and MJF are, like, understand heel work on different levels, completely different ways. And I thought that was great. Uh, Takeshi getting the pin on Kenny Omega to set up the match at All Out. Perfect. 
perfect. This is what I wanted out of this show to set up stuff at All Out. And that match, that pin set up the big match, Kenny Omega versus Takeshita, kneeing the shit out of each other, clotheslining the shit. His clothesline, oh my God, Takeshita, man. Like, he's a, he has my favorite clothesline since JBL. He really does. I know JBL's not a popular wrestler to talk positively about, but he has my favorite clothesline since JBL. So, uh, I, and yeah, he has the look. Him and Kenny Omega are going to fucking kill it at All Out. Oh, I'm so hyped for that match. JR, your thoughts about this trios match? So they got this motherfucker, Kenny Omega, trying to follow CM Punk. No, I was just playing. Um, so I will say this because uh, I, I don't. I want to try to give different points than you guys, so that we we don't basically say the same topics. But uh, one guy that I love that's a part of AEW, it, and it's like if Memphis Macho Man Randy Savage and Buff Bagwell had a had a baby, they created Juice Robinson because he is so fucking hyped and has such a great presence. And I want to say this because I saw somebody trying to drag Juice Robinson online. I'm like, dude. If you don't like Deuce Robinson, Come there's something on, wrong man. with you because he is just so animated and he's so eccentric and he has a great look and he is about like getting matches over and getting his getting that heel tactics over. And I think he is a great character. What he does, he does it very well. And seeing where he's at now to where I remember when he was like CJ Parker at NXT is like a fucking complete 180 because I see this guy, you know, being, you know, obviously he's a former United States champion in, in, uh, in New Japan, but I see this is a guy, if they wanted to, they could push him to be a world champion because of the way he presents himself and he conducts himself. And with him and Jay White, they made two guys who I don't hate. I like them personally, the gun club, the Austin and Colton, uh, Austin and Colton gun, made them relevant. And I've said, and I've told this to Floyd, like when they became AW tag team champions, the gun club, uh, when they beat the acclaim, I'm like, this is the fucking worst thing that happened in tag team wrestling. Like, I don't fucking understand this. I could pick 30 teams that are better than them. And literally just with the association of Jay white and, and juice Robinson and the, the things they've done in that association, I'm like told Floyd, like, honestly, in six, seven months, I could see them beating FTR for the tag team belts. And it'd be believable. Because it's about presentation and about the way you conduct yourself. And they've done a great job with Bullet, with, uh, Bullet Club Gold. Uh, Takeshita, as I said before, in the pre-show, in the um, in our uh, preview, I, he is a guy that even people who don't like AEW have said positive things about him. And I think he has a great look. Um, I think the, the one thing moving forward with the feud is... Yeah, and I don't like and Floyd and I have talked about this before. It's like I don't want to get so far ahead of ourselves, but once we get past can you you know this feud can you make it because the match is going to be exciting. I wonder what their plans are for him because a big part of him being a heel is a Don Callis mouthpiece. So it'll be interesting to see what they'll do once they get past this. But this match, as you guys said, was perfect, and that's actually what I think I what the prediction I had was this is going to set up. By Kenny Omega losing to Takesha is going to set up a very big match in the future. And it was funny because I was like, oh, I can't believe they're already doing it. But then it's like, well, of course they're doing it because All Out is next week. So they need a big match for the pay-per-view. And this is, you know, when you look at what's built for All Out, is probably the match with the big with the the longest storyline. 
Yeah, I mean this, like I said, this the the way that they can take this match uh, for all out and like have some real heat behind it. Like I said, I think they have a chance to do something on Dynamite to at least take something that's being built in like like the match is being built towards and for just in between seven days. And I think they have a way to really take that and then proceed to really jump off of it and use the history and use their past and everything like that to really add to the match too. So it, it's got me excited for that match for all out. It's probably the one of the matches I'm looking forward to out of the few that they've already announced. Um, but yeah, like I said, that was, this was a really good match. Uh, we move over to the AW world tag team championship match between FTR and the young bucks. It's FTR and bucks three, the rubber match to determine who is the best tag team in wrestling. Uh, young bucks coming out with uh, Freddie Mercury style gear. Um, Straight up, uh, there was a lot of uh, Queen and uh, Freddie Mercury uh, references, I will say, but we'll get to those later. Um, I will say, honest to God, like I think this was their best match. I did have at least one thing, which was I thought like it took so long for second gear to kick in. I felt like it just felt like you know we were coasting and we were coasting and we were coasting, and then like I want to say like at least over like. 10 minutes in then we started to really kick up and i just seemed like there was a lot of like filler in between and it's weird to say for bucks and ftr that there was filler because they love throwing a ton of stuff at the wall um that was just the only thing i thought and that was more nitpicky for me but when they did get going and there was so much stuff the sharpshooters that uh they threw on uh cash having one on the apron as well uh Matt and Nick Jackson getting out of the shatter machine and hitting one of their own. Uh, Dax and Cash being able to uh, do their own BTE trigger. Uh, and uh, the callbacks of the previous match where uh, Cash tries to go for the 450 splash but gets, uh, but he fails because he went, tried to go for a flip. I thought Floyd was going to have an aneurysm if that was the way that they lost that match again. Um, Young Bucks... Meltzer driver, but then FTR counters it, and then eventually FTR wins. They retain the AW World Tag Team Championships. They win the series, and then they offer handshakes, and the Young Bucks turn, walk away, and leave the ring. Um, so I this was probably like close to one of my favorite, like my top matches. I think the main event might have just beat it, but this was close, I would say. Uh, this match was really good. Other than the nitpicky stuff that I said early on, which again were relatively minor, this was uh, this was so good, honestly. So I think should we save Floyd for last on this one since it's his boys? I was gonna say Jr. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, the one thing I will say, well, let me start with saying this. I think uh, what you're saying, Austin, in my opinion, is, is is very valid. I think what they try to do, and, and this is really a kudos to the commentary team that was done, especially Excalibur, was really sell how these teams were evenly matched, that they knew each other, that they were equal. So it was like it was almost like a chess match. So everything it started slow. It was like, oh, I'm gonna put my pawn out there real quick because there was a lot of big, you know, chain wrestling with headlocks and takedowns that they tried to do in the beginning. And trying to kind of keep building and building it up to where I was like, okay, who's going to get a little bit more aggressive? Who's going to do takes? Who's going to take a risk at a certain point in the storytelling? Um, and I thought they did a great job of doing that because throughout the throughout the course of the match, it was 
and again, this goes back to what are they going to do to take a uh, risk? Like you said, when Cash did try attempt the 450 again, um, you know, they had each try still um, still each other's maneuvers. It was a very, uh, it became a very exciting match as the as they started hitting the crescendo. There was things where I was like on the edge of my seat. I was like, okay, is this going to be the ending? Or is this going to be the ending? Or is that a near fall? Like, I thought, I knew for certain when they hit the first um, big rig or shatter machine, that was not going to be the ending. But when the Bucks hit, like, I think it was their second VTE trigger, I was like, this match is fucking over. Like, I was going to get pissed because I, I just felt in my heart, like, there, even though this is the ending of the, you know, quote unquote trilogy. I feel like there's still more business to be made between the Young Bucks and FTR, especially as they bo- both teams have signed new contracts. Um, and who knows where the storyline is going to take us, especially the fact they didn't shake their hands at the end. But you know what? Like I said, there is absolutely, unequivocally, without a shadow of doubt, there is only one team that is the best in all professional wrestling, and that and their name. It's three letters, F-T-R. And I just want to say this to all of my elite uh, friends. Huh. So Omega gets a loss. Hangman, as much as I love you, you got a loss. Young Bucks got a loss. Uh, that You guys were 4-0 at All-In in 2018 when you guys basically went 0-4 in 2023. Meanwhile, CM Punk and F-T-R went undefeated. So who's Tony Khan's favorites? That's all I'm going to say. And I'll turn it over to Floyd. I can't even say anything. Otherwise, I go into another tangent. But, I mean, <laughs> thanks, thanks for speaking facts. And no, it's stuff. just because you know what? It's because some started like rubbing shit about my boys FTR. And I was like, you know what? You're gonna needle me a little bit. I'm gonna needle you a little bit. All right. So, okay, um, I might be a little long winded here. I'll try not to be. But uh, yeah, 92. I just this match for me goes back to 92. Uh, seeing Brett and Davey Boy, Wembley Stadium, the reason I wanted to be there. And, you know, at those times, Brett and Davey Boy were probably some of my favorite wrestlers. It was definitely the best story on the show. In this match, in this, uh, somewhat t- uh, 31 years later, uh, in London, um, one and two, um, my two favorite tag teams, um, FTR and Young Bucks. I love them for completely different reasons, but as much shit as I talked over the last year, I love them equal. I love them pretty much equally. When they either one of these teams get in the ring with another team, I truly believe magic is going to happen. I truly believe they are the best thing for tag team wrestling. Completely different reasons, but they are the best thing for tag team wrestling. They are amazing, amazing at what they do. When they work together. I think sometimes the expectation is so high that it rarely can be met. But in mine, this was a a perfect tag team match. Uh, You were talking about the the jumping into the filler, the trying to get up into that second gear. And all I saw on those were like, I saw two teams that were even. One, I saw the them trying to one-up each other. FTR starting off with the chain wrestling. They're like, okay, I'm better at that. Then it gets a little like wild, and uh, and then the Young Bucks are better than that. 
And then it just goes back and forth and no one can get full in control. And when you talk to second gear, you saw them start getting full in control. And then FTR hits the sh uh, shatter machine. Matt Nick, uh, I think it was Nick kicks, or was it Matt? I think it was Nick kicked out. I don't know if you knew this. First person to clean kick out of the shatter machine. I they did mention that it was like I I thought it was I couldn't I couldn't yeah. exactly remember. yeah I, I still haven't heard the announcers I like I'm still gonna watch it live later but I I didn't know the announcers I knew that I told Jr before I think they're gonna be the first team to kick out of the shatter machine remember when I said that Jr I don't know he might not oh or, yeah. absolutely yeah I'm sorry yes yeah. so you were right yeah I was like then they hit the VTE trigger and he kicked out catch kicked out then they hit that VTE trigger again and as much I've been very open about I really did not care who won this match I love both of these teams so much I, I like the match happening in front of eighty thousand people was the win it really was. This match, like I said, I watched him for with a thousand people in a hot ass, not not very pleasant Jacksonville Stadium, uh, and and it was it was great, but it wasn't the stage these men deserved. These eighty one thousand thirty five people uh, is the stage that these match the two best tag teams of our generation deserved, and they put on a match worthy of the eighty thousand people. And when he hit that VTE trigger, you know, you know, I can say the words, I don't care who won. But in that moment, my body told me I very much cared who won. <laughs> because my heart dropped. Because when he hit that second one, I was like, he, he is fucking done. Cash is done. We have new tag team champions. And he kicked out. And this... The 12-year-old that celebrated when Davy Boy Smith uh, uh, reversed the sunset flip into the pin, he came out, and I was like, oh, and I thought they were going to do a fighting spirit moment, and then FTR was just going to win, and then, no, 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 no. Out of nowhere, like, he gets in the ring, pushes him out the way, shatter machine, one, two, three, and still, the, the world champions, FTR. Uh, there were a couple spots. The double sharpshooter spot was amazing. Uh, they did the sunset flip reversal, but Dax didn't go all the way over. Come on, Dax. You got to hit the ground like Davey Boy did. You you know better. You study more wrestling than all of us. And I just thought that was... I just thought the little spots that they gave to the icons of the past... Was everything I kind of wanted? I kind of wanted Cash to hit the big bulldog power slam. He never did that, but yeah, uh, when he hit the uh, uh, when he hit that uh, the Steiner power slam, that was amazing. I'm like, this is a, understand. I have not watched this back. This is all from memory. This is all frozen in my brain, and I am very open about having a shit memory. But uh, yeah, this this match burned into my soul because. This is this was my main event. I truly believe it should have main evented the show. I truly believe it. I know it wasn't. It wasn't, and I'm not even going at Tony. I just felt like it should have. Just the moment. It's the Omega Okada of tag team wrestling, right? Uh, FTR won in a beautiful match. Uh, and at the end, the Young Bucks stayed true to my heart. 
dude, nobody tries to kill me for 20 minutes and beats me, and then I'm going to shake your hand. Fuck your handshake. I love it. I love it. That's pure wrestling to me. And it's so funny because this was the end of their first trilogy. I truly believe it's the beginning of the next trilogy. I felt like there was stuff left on the table. I felt like they left stuff on the table. Like this wasn't going to be it. Like I feel like they're going to wrestle more in the next year. And I think it's that FTR Young Bucks rivalry is about to hit that next level that it hadn't hit as far as hating each other. And I think you're going to get some blood feud in there. And I feel like there's going to be a dog collar match. I feel like there's going to be a two out of three falls. And I think we're going to get uh, the steel cage at some point. And I just feel that's all coming. I might be wrong. This is all absolute speculation for me, but it's just something in it. And I tend to have a good read on what my boys are doing. I, I feel like this is the beginning of something, and it's about to be beautiful. This match was beautiful. It was everything I wanted it to be. Uh, you know, and someone brought up, it w- was it as good as, was it as good as Juice Robinson and Jay White? If you want to talk move for move, storytelling, blah, 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 and your personal opinion is the other match was better, great. I, I will not argue with you. Uh, you know, you, you can be a wrestling, you can treat wrestling like gymnastics and you can hold up the score based on technical proficiency or whatever you decide. But for me, for that 11 year old kid, 12 year old kid that longed to be in Wembley stadium, that long, and this person in that since 2016 had longed to see my two favorite tag teams on the stage they deserve. Nothing beats this match. Nothing. I'm just happy you got to experience it, man. Like I said, when I when you got this match live, I was just like, man, I, I just I had a smile knowing that you were just losing your mind in London. Yeah, so I lost my mind. This was it. I was very close to tears. Uh, it was was what it was supposed to be, and the show could have ended right now, and I would have been okay. Dude, what it wasn't going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah, much yeah. more to get into. Yeah, the dude. So I, I, I can be honest with the next match. Kind of missed like the first fifteen minutes of it because I was, <laughs> I was tweeting and I was emotionally like, like I get gone. It, I get it. And I was emotionally gone. So yeah, I can talk about the end of the next match amazingly, but you're gonna have to just set up the beginning of it. Sure thing. Stadium stampede between Moxley, Claudio, Yuta, Santana, and Ortiz of the Blackpool Combat Club, and Eddie Kingston, Penta El Zero Miedo, and best friends, OC, Trent Breda, Chuck Taylor. Um, shit just went crazy from the moment Eddie Kingston came out and he decided to jump Claudio from the ju- from immediately afterwards. And the Patrick Ewing in Patrick Ewing, jersey, in the Patrick Patrick Ewing New, York New York Knicks jersey. Ninety mid nineties jersey, dude. Like fucking uh, God, I, I love that because you know the Knicks were all about fighting back then. So hell yeah. Well, dude, this man is lives and breathes New York, and like I mean, he is the embodiment. <laughs> He's the embodiment of those crazy motherfuckers you see outside of Knicks games. Like Dude. the straight up. Like I don't like again, we've joked he no one told him pro wrestling's fake. Yeah. Uh, yeah whether yeah. it be the promo he cut leading up to this or it be the match itself. Two like, things people are afraid to tell Eddie Kings Eddie Kingston. Pro wrestling is not real and it's not nineteen ninety five anymore. Yes. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, you don't have to. 
You don't you don't have uh, Julius Irving anymore. You have Julius Randle. Yes, yes. So not the same. Uh, Moxley already from the beginning had a branding iron that he decided to use on people. Uh, there was double sling blades by uh, Penta. Moxley then proceeds to uh, get skewers, and those ended up getting into his head and just sticking out of his forehead, dude. It was the grossest thing. I swear to God. Uh, there was a candlestick brought out that was covered in barbed wire. Moxley took a, a fork and decided to stab Orange Cassidy to pieces. Uh, Claudio and Eddie Kingston were fighting through the concourse and like up into the crowd, uh, into the stands and stuff like that. They literally had to go split screen, basically, just to show all the crazy stuff that was happening in this match. Um, there was a uh, plank covered in barbed wire that people got thrown to. Uh, I especially love, though, more than anything, two things. One... A white minivan pulls up at one point uh, uh, towards the uh, ramp, and it's Sue, and she brings cookies, and cookies get thrown. Um, the one thing that I thought was weird was that because there was a point where uh, uh, Penta was taken out of the match, basically, because it looked like he was hurt. Um, the announcers and they did not. The announcers and the film team did not make it fully clear to those people that, like, you know, oh, he's being taken out or stuff like that. So when he returned and he was back as Pento Oscuro, that kind of fell flat to me. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it just seemed like it came out of nowhere. Um, in the end, though, uh, it didn't matter because I got my favorite thing, which was Orange Cassidy and the best friends catching Wheeler Yuta in a hug, just like old times, before they just proceed to beat him to the ground, which was so, so good. Uh, there's They had a screwdriver get brought out again. Uh it seemed like uh, Claudio was going to kill Orange Cassidy with a giant swing. Uh, and then, like I said, it keeps going, going, and going. But eventually, uh, Trent superplexed Ortiz, and he gets him through two tables. It, he nearly fell at one point, too, but he was able to still make it happen. And it was a great spot. Then Orange Cassidy proceeds to go ahead and get three orange punches. And he's like, I can't get this man down. So he gets duct tape, puts it around his fist with the tape facing outward, breaking a glass bottle into a bucket. I wonder if that was real glass. And then proceeds to smash his fist into the broken bottle, getting the glass into his fist with the, with the duct tape. And then as uh, the match goes on and goes on, Eddie Kingston gets a steel chair and barbed wire and straight up just knocking out anybody that's getting in his way and takes Claudio, beats him with the chair that's covered in barbed wire. Uh, Moxley and them stare down. Uh, looks for the paradigm shift, but then Eddie Kingston hits the spinning back fist, and then that's when he tackles John Moxley through a table. Orange Cassidy then takes a orange punch with the broken glass on his fist, knocks out Claudio, and the baby faces win it, and it finishes with Eddie Kingston and John Moxley through the table, both flipping each other off as they're barely conscious. This shit was ridiculous. Like, absolutely dumb, stupid insanity. You had your wrestling classic with the tag team match between FTR and the Young Bucks. And now you just got absolute dog shit, like garbage wrestling insanity. Um, this was a lot of fun, but I will say it felt weird that this went right after the super old school, like, well, I mean, not even old school, but just the super technical, like high flying, like pro wrestling tag match. But I still thought this was so much fun, honestly. Uh, the addition of Sue and the cookies for like alone made it so much fun. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a, this was heavily enjoyable. 
Go ahead, Jr. Yeah, um, you know, if, 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 if this is the type of thing that you liked, then yeah, I'm happy you liked it because it was fucking nuts. The the one thing I was interested in, and I don't I don't think no one asked this question to Orange Cassidy, and, and if I ever get a chance, I'm going to ask him, what was the inspiration um, behind the broken glass? Because as soon as I saw it, I had two things come to my mind. One was one of my favorite Jean-Claude Van Damme films, Kickboxer, where at the end of the film, he has the kickboxing match with, I believe it was um, Tong Po, I believe was the, the villain in that one. I don't want to confuse it with them. Um, um, Bloodsport, and they basically tape their fists with the rope, and then they dip it in glue and dip it in broken glass. Or the other one that also came to mind was I remember in ECW, Ian and Axel Rotten had a Taipei death match where they taped their fist and then st- stuck broken glass on it and proceeded to fight in the ECW arena. So I, I was just wondering what was the inspiration behind it for Orange Cassidy. Um, I was a little bit shocked in the ending because it was not an ending that I expected, which eventually would lead to, you know, what could potentially be a uh, a match at All Out. I, I thought it was going to be um, somebody in the Blackpool Combat Club going over or what the Floyd's prediction was, Eddie Kingston defeating Claudio and setting up a Eddie Kingston versus Claudio for the Ring of Honor title at All Out which we got a different ending, which was uh, Orange Cassidy going over. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I got to the end and I was like, oh, like I it, like it was right there. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I was right. Eddie Kingston hits the first one, hits the second one. Oh, yeah. He's about to pin Claudio and we're going to get the match for the ROH title and all out. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm right. I'm right. And then Orange Cassidy hits the big punch and then gets the pin on Claudio. I'm like, I was almost right. I was so close. So close. Um, unpopular opinion. I'm over the Blackpool Combat Club. And it's been that way for a while now. I feel like it's the same thing over and over and over. Blackpool Combat Club is how Roman Reigns has said, described it with the missionary position. Clusterfuck out over and bleeding and weapons and blah, blah 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 and it's the same thing. I'm not a super street fight guy, but you can usually throw a clusterfuck on and I'm okay. Blackpool Combat Club and those type of matches, I am over. If they could go from now to January 1st without being in another street fight, stadium stampede, anarchy and arena, uh, blood and guts, good lord. They should just, if Brian Moxley can go two weeks without bleeding, I could reset. Two weeks, two weeks, 14 days without bleeding. I'm pretty sure he's bleeding right now. Just over it. I will agree with you on that matter. I do think that we have reached all we can kind of do with the Blackpool Combat Club, honestly, at this state. It just seems like we've hit a wall creatively of what we can do yeah, with these why guys. Can't, I mean, as they're a, all... As a group. They're why can't... They're, they're in a group. Why can't they go off and do their own singles ventures? Again, they're amazing at doing wrestling. I mean, John, Will Yuta won me over. 
doing amazing wrestling matches. Claudio's been killing in this year in singles matches. John Moxley, when he has a singles match, it's great. They want to do tag matches, but it's just the street fights and the weapons. And and it's like every time you got to try to raise it to a different level. And it's just like somebody's just going to get actually stabbed, which John Moxley got stabbed in the head. Okay, this is... It's... As a person that just likes regular ass wrestling a lot of times, it's been too much for me. And I don't want to be old man wrestling because I love to say that I'm I can find fun in pretty much anything. It's just too much of the same thing right now. I'd rather yeah, watch a match full of wrist locks than see somebody get hit with another table. Yeah, I mean the minute that the you know the Blackpool Combat Club relocated to Cincinnati when uh, William Regal left AEW, it's, it's really kind of been missed with a lot of violence. I think the other thing too is I I don't know if we can honestly say that they're in a better position now than they were a year ago. It just feels like it's it's just been stagnant. Like yeah, William Uta has you know has gotten a few wins. But it's just still kind of, he still, everything just feels exactly the same as we were at this time last year with all the members of the Blackpool Combat Club. I just, there has not been a progression in anybody, in my opinion. I just don't feel like anybody has progressed further by being in this, this trio. So I think maybe it's, yeah, we need to, you know, maybe everybody goes their separate ways. Claudio, go defend the bell. You know, your Ring of Honor World Championship. Willer, go back to Ring of Honor try to do something in their division and then you know moxley you know go home hey you're supposed to take a vacation it's been a year that you had you're supposed to take a vacation you didn't take it go get it yeah no i think i think that's fair enough uh we'll move over now to the aw women's world championship match akara shida versus soraya versus tony storm versus dr Britt baker dmd soraya comes out first and she has queens we will rock you blasting through wembley stadium as she literally walks out with her fighting with my family, uh, uh, peeps, her legit uh, wrestling family and her blood family. And I was like, well, she ain't losing. Like, this is a champion's entrance through and through. Um, it was awesome. Honestly, it was such a cool moment. One of the best entrances of the night. Um, and I got to be, yeah. they like, uh, was I happy about the one women's match uh, on the card? Uh, I mean, no, but you know, let's be honest. Do I really care? Not really. Uh, I wasn't, but dude, they kind of tried to make up for it with the entrances because all four of them they got did, epic yeah. entrances. Like all four of them got epic entrances. Like they, they all got their up, money. Yeah. Got they wanted got their moment with the eighty thousand people. And I'm just gonna say this, and this is just a small detour before we actually talk about the match. I feel like. You shouldn't listen to people what people say. You should watch what they do. TK shows you exactly how he feels about the women's division every time he books a card. And when someone tells you, hey, this is what I'm serving, and you want to order off menu, yeah, that's probably not going to work out. Tony Khan has a menu that he prepares and he wants you to have it's prefix, no substitutions. So if you are itching for some women's wrestling, more women's wrestling, probably not going to get it here. 
I will never tell anybody not to watch AEW. Always watch AEW. Always support the brand. But I don't ever think it's going to be this 50-50 woman-men show that you want. I don't even think it's going to be 60-40. I think 70-30 is your best bet. I don't think I don't think that's a bad thing against Tony Khan. I think you're allowed to produce the type of show you want. It's your money. It's your company. You produce the type of show you want. Because, unfortunately, financially, numbers-wise, do all the things, doesn't seem like there's a reason to put on more women's wrestling from that side. I mean, of course, there are a lot of talented women in AEW, and I want them all featured. But business-wise... And me and JR always talk about like business wise, I always say business wise might not go with what I want, but what is smart. Business wise, you put on what people turn it on for. And you don't put on what people turn it off for. Unfortunately, people tend to turn it off for women's wrestling. It sucks. But it happens. That's not on TK. No, but even mm-hmm. still, though, mm-hmm. I will say because, like I said, I I, I watched this uh, four way and I was thinking of the uh, four way from the first All In though, and how good that match was. And this match was really fucking good. Like I said, I even with like they, this being they understood the card, they understood they knew the what the, they knew what the, yeah they knew what the assignment <laughs> was, and they're like, okay, let's kill this. And they a thousand a thousand percent did it. I loved the start with Saray and Storm working together, but then eventually it just broke down immediately with them pinning uh, Britt Baker over and over and over again. But they just uh, were fighting over who was going to pin her. Um, at one point, uh, there was even a point where Ruby Soho comes out being like, uh, can you calm down and like not uh, do all this, like and don't do this hip attack to Soraya. And eventually uh, she gets knocked down. And then uh, Sheeta, uh, uh, like basically at some point though, uh, uh, Ruby Soho proceeds to get uh, hit by uh, Tony Storm, and she's like, "Oh my god, I'm sorry." And then she just like screw this and walks back up to the uh, walks back up to the ramp. Uh, but as things keep going, uh, they guys are just beating up each other and. Um, there was an amazing moment when Soraya had her finish, uh, her sto- her submission finisher on. I can't remember what she calls it, but then Baker comes up and just stomps Tony Storm into the mat, like her head bounced. Like one of the best spots of the night, honestly. Um, Sheeta was working her way up there. It looked like she had a good chance there as she hit the katana kick, but then Britt Baker breaks it up. She has the locked jaw, trying to get it on Sheeta, and she's just fighting and fighting and fighting. But eventually, Soraya takes a uh, spray can, spray can, uh, sprays it in Tony Storm's eyes while uh, Britt Baker is looking like she's about to get the uh, victory. But then eventually, Soraya hits the nightcap, and then she beats beats uh, Tony Storm, pins Tony Storm, her her outcast partner, to win the AEW World and Women's Championship. While Britt Baker was this close to being able to make Sheeta tap out with the lockjaw. Um, and the ovation began with Soraya winning the title, and it was it was honestly so good to see. Um, but this match was really, really, really good. It was 
pretty much mega obvious that they were going to do it with for Soraya because it's her home country, uh, and especially after that entrance. Uh, but even still, though, these girls did amazing, and I will always say, like, you give these girls, like, big match opportunities like this, even if it's just one, they will make the most of it, and they will knock it out of the park, because I thought this match was so good. Yeah, I thought it was good. I thought the finish was brilliant. Like, oh, I mean, if you want to set up Britt getting a title shot of Soraya, she was right there. She, she, you know, like, she's right there, you know, and, like, she snuck in and uh, she hit the move and got the uh, win, and it was, and Brick couldn't break it up because she was trying to get the win herself. I love it. I love it. I thought it was creative. Uh, uh, yeah, I thought everybody kind of got their shine in this, uh, even in the short match, they all got their shine. The crowd was into it. Uh, and then Soraya, oh, my God. Um, now, like I said, I don't know, like, I'm a little, in a little older, get a little more emotional, but the idea of her winning in her home country, 80,000 people, uh, with her family in the ring, she, she, I mean, in essence, she got her Davy Boy Smith moment, and that's, I, that's immediately what I thought, Davy Boy won, and his family was in the ring, and in the UK, and it was, Soraya got that moment, 80,000 people, I knew she was going when she got in with AEW, I s- simply figured she was going to be AEW Women's Champion. And it was a longer process to get there, but it was the perfect moment to do it in. I mean, the perfect moment. Uh, I talk about next year. Uh, next year, the main event should absolutely be, and if they sign them in February, Will Ospreay versus whoever the AEW World Champion is. And that's what it should be. I mean, I don't think there's any other option because of this moment with Soraya is just like, that's it. That's the moment, you know, and it was a great moment. And if anybody has a complaint about it, like Soraya shouldn't have won, dude, that moment, what it meant to her, what it meant to her family, what it meant to that crowd. Yeah, you're wrong. JR? I apologize, I was having issues with my mic. Um, the one thing I really did like about this match, so when this match was starting, I was like, okay, how are they going to turn Soraya and Tony Storm against each other? And when they did the spot with her mom, I was like, that was tremendous. Like, that's exactly what they needed to do to get that heat. So I really did enjoy that. Um, and I like the ending because I think when you look on paper, and, and I, don't, I say this, it's not to be maliciously, but like, on paper, Soraya and Bird Baker are the two biggest stars in their women's division. So it, it leads you to to continue the feud they had last year and this time for the belt. So I think it makes sense to kind of put some energy in that back in the women's division because for all intents and purposes, as we've you said earlier and we've said in previous podcasts, it seems a little stagnant. Did you cut out there? Did you press mute? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. My mic was muted for some reason. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you guys with this match. Uh, moving in, though, we had the coffin match between Darby Allen and Sting and Swerve Strickland and Christian Cage. Uh, getting the Who's House Swerve House chant through Wembley Stadium was a lovely sight. Um, Sting was full Joker at this point, and it was a sight to behold, I will say. Um, they were wearing their jackets covered in thumbtacks that they pulled out of the coffin. Um, 
Christian uh, tying up Darby's arms with tape behind his back, and he was still able to hit a moonsault with his wrist tap taped up behind him and, like, cannonball diving to the outside. Like, I love Darby so much that him doing this. Um, and Swerve and Christian are two of AEW's best heels right now. Honestly, I'm not afraid of saying that. Uh, and Sting was able to get a lot of really cool stuff in this match. Uh, and, yeah, I loved uh, the the ability to get uh, Luchasaurus included in there and then also get Nick Wayne in there as well. Um, but as it was going and going and going, it looked like Sting was going to go ahead and uh, splash on both of them in the corner and get uh, Christian and Scorpion Deathlock to hold him there for a bit. Swerve hits him in the back with a steel chair. He no-sells it. But eventually, though, Christian Cage takes a low blow uh, with a baseball bat, and then they jump uh, Sting and beat him down. But eventually, Swerve goes for a 450 splash onto the coffin. Sting gets out of the way, and it looks like it fucking hurts. Um, But eventually, as they are shoving Christian Cage out of the way and gouging his eyes out with Darby, Sting's able to get uh, a scorpion death drop on the coffin. And then Darby proceeds to then uh, take uh, Swerve and dive onto the coffin. And then eventually the lid is able to shut with him hitting the coffin drop and shutting it on Swerve. Um, This was fun, honestly. It wasn't anything, like, insane, but it was fun. And I've always said that Sting and Darby together are great. And Christian and Swerve Strickland are two of AEW's best heels. So I thought this was just a nice little fit. I like the ability to get Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus featured on the show as well, um, but I thought this was—I thought this was fun. I didn't have anything like over the moon crazy to say about it, but it was fun at least. I did enjoy it. I'll—I'll I'll just say I agree with you, Austin, on that. Um, I think it was—you know—when I look back in at the career of Sting, and Sting has had a lot of moments, but it's crazy that him at almost sixty years of age, he has never been in a crowd as big as this like he was at 31 but like he is this is you know that was significantly different than Wembley I mean Flo you were there I mean you can compare 31 and and Wembley about how significant bigger this this crowd was for him uh and Darby like dude I love you man like I really do but you're gonna kill yourself like (laughs) like, come on man like I love you but let's let's dial it down a couple of notches in some of the in some of the situations I mean obviously this was the moment but like dude oh my god like every time like my eyes shudder when you fucking just doing coffin drops on caskets and diving like through tables and stuff it's just like this guy's gonna kill himself one of these days for us yeah when he jumped and just landed on the casket back first I was like Oh God, that's so unnecessary. It is really, but, but it's actually the reason I got turned on him. I'm like, this dude gives everything for his craft. He gives his body. He gives everything for it. I, and you know, you know, you can't do anything but respect someone like this. And it's just like the amount that he puts on the line every time he wrestles. And Swerve, like, dude, I mean, low key, probably my favorite. <laughs> like, it's like I say this every week. It feels like by a different person. But Swerve, man, I feel like his last three months, like he has always been good, always been good. But I feel like his last three months, maybe four, he's just like went up to that next level. You see his physique changing, but that evil like this, he's like the he's like the opposite Joker. And then 
everyone's starting to love him. Like, you know, when you're so good and so bad that everyone starts to love you, he's kind of reached that level. And then they had the live music. It took me, I'm funny, because the dude was just rapping so perfectly with the song. It took me a minute to realize it was a live performance. And then, um, yeah, but I thought he was amazing. Sting doesn't go through the table the first time. Old school veteran calmly gets up, throws his whole body in it. It's breaking this time. That was cool. I think uh, you you got to look at Swerve and how Swerve uh, has protected and take care of Sting this whole time to make him look good. And Darby's looking at next level. And Christian's like, if you told me Christian was 35, I'd believe you. He doesn't look a step slower than he's ever been in his whole career. This match was great. Nick Wayne got his spot. Just imagine being 18 years old and performing in front of 80,000 people, even if it was only for a few seconds. You performed in front of 80,000 people. Luchasaurus got his moment. Uh, I just, I was just really happy for how this turned out. And then, you know, uh, uh, Sting beating on his hands and then put his body in there. And it's like, you knew the coffin drop was coming and it was beautiful. And inside the coffin, here lies Swerve. Match was perfect. Yeah, there you go. Uh, next up, Chris Jericho versus uh, Will Ospreay. Uh, excuse me. We opened with the Fozzie singing Judas after Chris Jericho wanted to be uh, Freddie Mercury doing the day. Uh, but uh, this was one of the matches I heard a lot of people were kind of like a little iffy on. I will say, uh, there was some great moves. I loved the. There was a point where a uh, a Hurricanrana was countered. I believe it was by uh, Jericho and. Uh, like it was beautifully done. Um, there was points in it where it felt like you could see Chris Jericho trying so hard to keep up, and like I, I don't know how you can keep up with Will Ospreay if you haven't worked with him in the past. So, like, I get it. Um, this match was all right. I will say this like was one of the weaker ones. I would say, um, but Osprey still did everything in his power to just do every crazy thing under the sun. Um, and he was just working with a guy like Jericho who is able to ride along with it for a while, but then like at some point, like you, he play catch up a bit. So, um, that was the only thing. Um, but Osprey was able to get the victory in his home country. Uh, after the match, Sammy Guevara, who was with, uh, Jericho, uh, at ringside, uh, helps him up, but Jericho pushes him away and it, like kind of leaning towards like, you know, Jericho being like, am I really done? It looks like, uh, but I thought this match was still all right. It wasn't like anything insane, but it wasn't bad. Uh, so, yeah, I thought this was all right. All right, JR. I, I again, agree with you. I, I think they both did what they best they could. And, and I honest, I will say this. And I, I love, you know, I love saying nonsense about Jericho, but. Sometimes as the nights were on with AW events, they're so action packed. I feel like in this match, I need to go back and rewatch because I feel like after seeing everything we just got done seeing, I don't know if I if this match may may not have been as good as we may not have thought it was, or maybe it's just like, dude, I I really need a breather because that's the one thing as I, I've explained with AW that's different than other companies when it comes to their pay per views is like. It is literally nonstop. There is no breaks. There is no like 
vignettes, promos, nothing. It is when one match ends, the next entrance is coming out. So I feel like this match potentially may have been better than I thought than I thought it, it may have been when I saw it live. If that makes sense. And then the next thing I will say, I forgot I will add this. I liked the tease with Sammy and Jericho. I really thought Sammy was going to fucking knock Jericho's lights out and join Don Callis. Because Floyd and I have been like talking about how this could turn Sammy heel and be something big for him. And I, I, I will say this. If you want someone to be heel and get over, Don Callis is the most despicable piece of shit since just put him with him. So I really thought Sammy was going to lay him out in front of Wembley. Yeah, uh, I thought I thought that was I was expecting the Sammy turn there, but the match I thought was good. I thought it was it looked like it was a Chris Jericho match against Will Ospreay, and it's like him not being able to keep up with Ospreay actually played into the match that Will Ospreay is the best wrestler in the world and Chris Jericho is a legend. I mean, this is what it looks like when the best wrestler in the world first wrestles a legend. The legend's not supposed to keep up. The legend's supposed to look a step behind. And that was the story of this match, is that Chris Jericho can't keep up anymore. Why was Chris Jericho frustrated at the match and pushed away Sammy? Because Chris Jericho doesn't have it anymore. He tried to turn it on, and it wasn't there. He tried to flip the switch, and the switch wasn't there. That told the story of the match, and it was beautiful. And I loved uh, listening to 80,000 people uh, sing Fozzie and then Elevated came on and that pop Will Ospreay got in front of 80,000 people, the most people he's ever been in front of. Man, it was just amazing. I, I really enjoyed the match. Canada versus the UK. I, I, I even like another shout out to Brett, Brett and Davey Boy. You got it all through the show. I don't even know if they meant to it, but Canada versus the UK in that match. And the UK was one. The UK won against Canada again. UK versus Canada undefeated. So, uh, no, uh, I thought this match was brilliant. And it was like, like I said, if they may have been botches. But the botches actually helped the story of the match. I don't even know if they were botches. I mean, Chris Jericho's so intelligent, he might have been doing that on purpose. Uh, but it helped the match because it looked like Jericho couldn't keep up. And that was the story of the match. All right. Uh, the penultimate match, uh, you had the World Trios Championship between uh, House of Black and the Acclaimed. Uh, first off, a lovely tribute to uh, Wyndham Rotunda with them bringing out a little a uh, little lantern, which was awesome. They left it at the top of the ramp. Um, and uh, this match was also pretty good. I will say, honest to God, like one of the only main things I truly remember was when Julia Hart got in the ring and decided that she was going to get in the face of Billy Gunn. And Billy Gunn just was like, suck it. And then they proceed to knock her down. Hold her while Anthony Bowens drops scissor me timbers on her. And honest to God, dude, that was the one thing that stuck with me. The match itself was also, again, solid enough. Uh, it was cool to see Billy Gunn like get a match in, like this. And uh, in the end of the day, though, they were able to set up for the uh, arrival and the mic drop for a second time at one point, pinning Brody King. And uh, the acclaimed win your trios championships. And they do a big scissor me daddy ass uh, in the uh, middle of the ring to get the crowd going crazy. And yeah, Billy Gunn is a trios champion, so he, he has a championship in AEW. Um, the match served its purpose and did a good job with it. Uh, but I will say the only thing I truly remember was scissor me timbers on Julia. Uh, 
yeah, I didn't want it to. I didn't want. I didn't want the claim to win, but I knew they were going to win. Uh, congrats to Billy Gunn. Uh, but yeah, uh, the to me the best trio champion ever uh, lost, and they should just win the belt back Sunday if it was up to me. I got nothing else to add. <laughs> it was like right. it was the right decision. It's just not the decision I would have made. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But now, main event time, MJF versus Adam Cole for the AEW World Championship. Uh, and it was like literally like the match was felt so huge. Um, and the whole thing was just, you know, the sportsmanship and these two guys, you know, wanting to put on the best match possible for the biggest wrestling show of all time. But Adam Cole was starting to just be like, you know what? It doesn't matter. We may be friends, but I'm better than you. And he's just going after him and going after him and getting more frustrated that he's not able to put him away. Um, MJF was able to hit a dive by getting the courage to do so after he wasn't able to do it in the earlier match. Um, MJF tried to go for a Panama Sunrise at one point, but got super kicked in the head with it. Um, these guys were throwing each other against the bo- the broadcast table. Um and it just kept going, and, and like it was such a good match. Uh, at one point, they look at each other, and they're exhausted from everything that they've done against each other, and they scream double clothesline at each other. They double clothesline each other. They drop. They both have their arms draped over each other's chest. Bryce Remsburg counts three, and it's a double pin, and it's a double draw. And Adam Cole gets on the mic being like, no freaking way screams for five more minutes and mjf is like no five minutes isn't enough and they're going until they get a winner at wembley uh bryce remsburg eventually gets dropped and uh eventually it looks like mjf is going to uh grab a steel chair and uh throw it to adam cole to make it like they basically did the uh the eddie guerrero chair spot but it was literally just hot potato for the longest time but eventually mjf has the chair in his hands and he goes all right throws it around his neck and then drops and then ref is being like, "What you did that? There, what this? Where did this come from?" He tries to roll him up. It doesn't work out. But eventually, um, as they guys like are just pulling move after move after move, um, he pulls the dynamite diamond ring out. MJF and he's on the verge of tears, about to do it. And then Roderick Strong jumps in the ring behind MJF and kicks MJF in the dick. And Adam Cole. It, like sees it and he sets up for the uh boom knee and everyone thought it was over ref does the slowest count and mjf still kicks out at 2.99 uh roderick strong then throws the aw world title telling adam to use it being like i'm your best friend uh adam cole though didn't want to do it roderick strong walks away and then a cradle pinfall mjf retains and mjf comes over to adam cole and he's like just absolutely broken and he uh mj he's like it's okay like it could have gone either way like i got lucky and he's like we still have these we still have these basically recreating uh what happened with uh when they lost their chance at the aw world tag team titles and then as he brings in the ring of honor world titles cole throws out and then mjf goes like oh i get it you never cared about me you just cared about the belt it's like you you only care about this you piece of shit then take it and then throws it at him, and eventually he's like, you know what? Fine, get it over with. He turns his back to Adam Cole. And Ad- and the, the best part, too, is Roderick Strong is like, okay, now I can come back, and I'm going to just scream 
over and over and over about Adam Cole to do it. He doesn't do it. They hug it out. They, they just eventually the kingdom is able to hold Roderick Strong back uh, from doing anything. And then they celebrate in the ring and they that's when they announce the return to Wembley. 81,035 fans going absolutely ballistic for this match. Um, it was a great, great match. I, I get there was a lot of shenanigans in the match, and it was very melodramatic, but I love this shit, dude. I thought it was so much fun, and it was such a good match and had some great near falls. And as it kept going on, you truly didn't know where it was going to go um, and if they were going to turn, if they weren't going to turn. Um, I thought it was so, so freaking good. A great cap off to this show. Um, yeah, that's, that's really all I got, honestly, but this match was insane. I am about to be a hypocrite. I'm admitting it. I'm putting it out there. Call me a hypocrite. Cause what do I love in wrestling more than anything? A story. Loves me a story. I love the soap opera professional wrestler. I talk about it all the time, right? Love it. Yeah, I felt like the story kind of took away from the match. And uh, constant slowing down, deciding if they were going to fight each other, deciding if they were going to do this move. I don't want to hurt my friend. It was great. I kind of, and then it just, like, it took me out of the match. Like, I wanted to be more into the match. I wanted to be more in the finish. I was like, at that point, like, like the third time, Adam Cole's not winning. And then they did the double clothesline thing, you know, and I just, I went, oh, I went womp womp. I was like, come on, really? This is the main event of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest row wrestling shows ever. I'll say one of, so I don't, you know, nobody try to correct me. One of the biggest pro wrestling shows ever by a pro wrestling company, uh, by a by a pro wrestling company doing um that is all about we put on pro wrestling and this was probably the most WWE match they've done since the first match at the beginning of the show and it was just all the drama and all the I don't want to hurt my friend and stuff I was like eh so yes I am being I am admitting if you yeah, I'm admitting because I know you have to say, Floyd, you're all about the story. I felt like the story took away f- from the wrestling match that I wanted. I saw the 30 minutes. They banged. I wanted an hour of them just putting on a banger. And they had a story to tell. And they told it. I didn't like it. I just wanted the banger. JR? Uh, I'm not going to lie. I felt like as we got closer towards the ending, I started focusing on what's the story? Like, who's going to turn? Is is Adam Cole going to cheat? Is is MJF going to hit the tombstone? Is, you know, I knew the, the, the draw was not going to be the, the, the ending. So I know that was like a, some sort of swerve. But I spent so much time trying to figure out how, who was going to turn on who. Even after the match was over, I was still focusing on that because I'm like, something has to give. And I thought, like, it was, you know, it was going to happen. We've been talking about it. So I'm just so lost in what's the end result of this feud. Um, I think there's obviously a grand, there's a grander 
plan that's out there that I I'm not even I wouldn't even say who, but it involves other people. Um, but yeah, I just I agree with you. Like for me specifically, I felt I was like losing interest as the match was progressing and focusing more on what's the story that they're trying to tell instead of just focusing on the match. And I think it really happened when uh, like when they started when it when they got outside to do like the tombstone and it was like, oh, is he going to use the tombstone? And then when it's like, oh, is he going to use the belt? And then that's when all that I felt like I was losing. Uh, I was losing my focus on the match itself and worrying more about the other things. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I completely understand, uh, but I want everybody to know, I understand this pretty much goes against everything I say most of the time. They lost me on it, though. All right, well, I will still heavily disagree. I had so much fun with this match and the ridiculousness and, and, of the and story. And it seemed like the fans were really into it, and it seemed like some people were really into it. It was just like... It's just I don't know. I I think I added like the whole the whole idea of the spectacle, the AEW biggest show ever. I wanted to end with something that I'm gonna remember forever, and all I'll remember is hey that you wanted you better. wanted the ring you wanted the tag main event so bad. No, I mean honestly, yeah, because it was a great match, and that's what I wanted the show to end with was a great match, and this was a great story, not a great match. Okay. Well, uh, that, though, was AEW All in London as they announced that they were doing All in London next year. Um, Like I said, top to bottom, the show was really, really good. Um, I will apologize for my anger. Um, I will say firmly, I've been up since like 7 in the morning, uh, and it's 2.41 a.m. right now where I am. I'm tired, and honestly, I just got mega cranky when I had my rant. So I will apologize to you guys about that, and I will apologize to the fans about that. Um, it is not supposed to be that serious, and I say that while also taking this shit way too seriously. Been getting mad about mad at wrestling fans and stuff like that. I honestly need to take a step away from Twitter with the whole ordeal on that. So I will apologize on that. But uh, regardless of the fact, though, all in London, amazing show. I had a lot of fun with, and I'm happy that my boy Floyd was able to be there for such a huge monumentous event. Uh, we were both at the first all in. He was at the first all in London. So it's good to see, uh, that he had a good time as well there. August 25th, 2024. Uh, your boy plans on being there again. Uh, in a lot of ways, cause I've said 40 will probably be my last WrestleMania for a while. In a lot of ways, uh, this will probably place your WrestleMania, uh, London's a beautiful city, and there's so much to see. I think I could go five more times without seeing it. And the fact is, it's close enough to other parts of the country. It's three and a half way, hours away from Paris. I could go do that kind of stuff. I could go to my home country of Scotland. So it just seems like as far as new experiences, going to the all-in show in London is probably going to be my best bet for the next few years. And my wife's already signed up for it, and she's the boss. So... There you go. There you go. There you go. But I hope to do it with Jr. I hope to absolutely. go with Jr. One time. Well, I didn't mean to well, say do it, it with Jr. <laughs> I hope to go to the show with Jr. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I hope me and Jr. get to go to the show, and then we can go pose in Harry Potter pictures together. Uh, 
Well, as I was saying earlier, you know, they AW likes picking some very bad times for educators to do events. But and I, I alluded to this earlier because there was one very significant thing that came after they announced All In uh, twenty twenty four. As I'm doing the, the dates in my head, as and I was alluding to this earlier, I said, you know, AW going into uh, as a rounding through the fourth year and into year five next year. Uh, things are going to change. And one of the things is, you know, we were used to four pay-per-views, uh, Double or Nothing, All Out, Full Gear Revolution. Then came for Bidden Door last year. Now we have All In. And Tony Khan announced that on Sunday, October 1st, live from Seattle, is a n- new pay-per-view. It looks like, I'm, I believe it's a joint venture with New Japan called Wrestle Dream. And it is a tribute to Antonio Inoki. So, this that will now be our sixth pay per view this year, or will be our by the time we get done by the end of the year, it looks to be six total pay per views. If I'm doing my math correctly, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah, we're getting more pay per views. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, you're correct. It's six. It's gonna be six. So or, that's very exciting. You know that I mean, oh, it's, it's well, a yeah, very I mean, different. If you count Forbidden Door, it'd be seven, right? So we have, uh, yeah, oh, I'm seven. Yeah, it will be um, so revolution, double or nothing, forbidden door, all in, all out, and then wrestle dream will be six, and then full gear would be seven. Yeah. So um, yes, this is. But with that being said, you know, I do hope to eventually. My I've been to London to see UFC at the O2, which was phenomenal experience. My goal is to eventually see a big stadium show in Europe. Um, so I would have to figure how is that going to work around school? Cause literally again, Sunday is, was Wembley. And then Monday is today is our first day of school for the fall 2023 school year. So, and it'll be the same thing like that every year, as long as they keep running the end of August. Yeah. The bank holiday. Um, yeah, I, I was, you know, forbidden door pretty much ended my AEW pay-per-view streak. And if it didn't end there, it was going to end this Sunday with all out because uh yeah they're adding so many pay-per-views i'm not even putting all my pressure on myself to keep up and the next show's in la so they uh, next show well i technically i guess the next show would be in seattle but hey gives me every reason to just call it quits now i'm not even putting that pressure on myself i'm gonna go to the ones that i can that make sense to me and yeah that'll be the way it goes going forward but yeah, I loved it. I loved I loved my run doing this uh, four years of AEW. Uh, I, like I said, the only pay-per-view I would have missed that they let people into was uh, Forbidden Door. And yeah, and that will be it. I'm like, that was a beautiful run. Uh, but yeah, uh, AEW is growing. They are transitioning. And uh, with that, you know... I'm not going to be able to grow as fast as them unless a lottery hits or some shit. Yeah, for real. Yeah, for real, no, honestly. No, I mean, yeah, I'm going to have to start, you know, living living reality. It was a great run. I mean, it I have, was, yeah. I, I've, been a, I've been fortunate enough to make it to some shit I didn't think I could, that I logically should, probably either shouldn't have went to or couldn't have been to, and everybody always, like, adjusts for me. But it's, yeah, it's time to, you know, I'm going to watch some more shows at home, have more parties, have more people over. It'll be fun. Yeah, for real. 
Um, but overall, guys, that's going to do it for this episode, I think, of All Things Elite. Um, I do think me and Floyd are going to do another episode uh, after Dynamite talking about that and then talking about the all-in yeah, card or yeah. at least what's uh, available. Yeah. I mean, the all-out card and what's 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 announced at that point. Um, but yeah, um, I'm going to wrap things up because, like I said, I am fucking tired. I don't know how I'm still awake, honestly, if I'm being straight. Um but guys, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of All Things Elite. Thank you for putting up with me being a salty bitch. Uh, and thank you to JR for being here, dude. We loved having you here talking about All In and just being able to rap about this show and how huge it was for AEW and how huge it was for pro wrestling because it really, really, really was. Uh, I mean, it, it was very fun. I appreciate talking to you guys. It was great to do a preview and review. And, and like I said, I, I really think... Just in general, uh, we could do more of these. Uh, and the, like I said, the UK European fans are so passionate that they deserve. They deserve, I think, two shows like this a year. You know, and, and it's Absolutely. great for them. So shout out to all, all of the UK, Europe, uh, you know, that came out for that event. The people that like Floyd that made the trek from North America over there to uh, to London for the show. All right. Well. You guys, be sure to continue to download this fine show on Google or Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us on Spotify or wherever you choose to listen to us, please give us a share with your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you wish. And you can also leave a rating and a review and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at ATElitePod, at Social Suplex of the guys that make this show possible. Please check out all the other shows they have on their network. I am at Austin Sumowitz, S-Z-U-M-O-W-I-C-Z. Floyd is at Floyd Johnson Jr. and Jr. is at Lucha Professor. And with that, I will go ahead and pass it off to Floyd as we celebrate this huge momentous occasion all in London, the biggest wrestling show of all time, an absolute uh, outstanding accomplishment. And considering we were five years removed from the first all in, what a way to have this take place. Um, I will send it off to Floyd so he can take us home for this episode of All Things Elite. Yes, uh, I'd like to thank everybody last week when I was or having uh, passport issues. All the people that reached out, let me know. They wish me the best of luck. Thank you. Shout out to Jason J. Rowe. He's like, he's like, he had my back in a unique way. I'll just say it like that way. I'll say it like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, shout out to all of you that were, and I got it all taken care of and was able to go, had the time of my life, uh, you know, None of this is lost on me. How lucky I am to, or uh, how lucky I am to get the time and all that stuff to do this. But also, not lost on me how hard I work. Because guess what? I got home after being in the plane for eleven, nine, eleven hours, whatever the plane was. I got home and I sat here for thirty minutes, and then I signed in and worked. So understand, I I work very, very, very hard to be to do what I do. And I uh, do it because I love it. And I hope we do this show because we love it. Uh, people were talking about getting media credentials for a show. And I was like, eh, I'm good. I'm like, hey, I was like, if Austin wants to take that on, I fully support him. But we both have, a lot of people don't know this, we both have full-time jobs. And our jobs aren't types of jobs that you work 40 hours a week and then stop. That's just not how our jobs work. So neither one of us has really the capacity to take on everything that goes on with trying to get media credentials and stuff. So that's why we don't do it. We just don't have time to do it. But thank you all for listening, jumping in our show. Uh, got to hear me get a little 
angry or disappointed. Got to hear Austin just flat out pissed off, and I, I love pissed off Austin. Like, kind of turns me on. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like me some pissed off Austin. So, uh, no, that was that was interesting. But, yeah, we are going to do our best on the show to not focus on the back uh, backstage stuff. Uh, if we if it affects the show, we'll we'll report it. But in essence, we're gonna try to keep our focus on wrestling. Uh, I just put out a tweet today. Uh, uh, focus on the things that give you joy. Don't focus on the things that take away from it. I feel like the backstage stuff is starting to take away from the joy of wrestling for so many people out there. So I feel like with us being the proclivity of positivity, we're not gonna focus on that anymore. We're just going to focus on our love of wrestling and you are us hearing our passion out of it. So I thank you all for listening. And as I remind you every week, whether it is home, work or school, always do your best to be elite.